Keep tugging at our heels, watch us high step and be a highlight reel of how high we get. The ghost riders off the ramp, how we live defies death. Put our conscience in the genre box, stamp a certified fresh. Bad boys beyond G depths. You couldn't fathom what we plan to do next. Turn the music on his head, power bomb a suplex. Welcome and thank you for listening to the Free Range Basketball Podcast, a podcast where I, Kyle McEwen, bring on guests and we find common ground in our love of basketball before having more conversations about politics and religion. If you like what you hear, please consider rating, reviewing, and sharing the podcast wherever you listen to or watch it. And if you'd like to be an official producer of the show, you can send in support through PayPal, Venmo, or Cash App to at Kyle McEwen 16. You can also subscribe on Patreon at Free Range Basketball. For anyone that rates, reviews, or contributes as a producer of the show, I'll be sure to give you a mention and thanks on the show. And I'll also come help do yard work this weekend. So if you'd like to follow me on Twitter, you can find me retweeting an insane number of NBA and political topics at NBA. That's the housekeeping, and let's get our guest in here, the Rick Rosen from Twitter. Rick Rosen, he works in game operations for Boom Sports, developer of popular free-to-play apps. He, uh, you can check out NBC Sports Predictor, NASCAR Finish Line, and the Play Barstool app for your chance to win thousands of dollars in prizes for free, no deposit needed, every week. Um, Rick, thanks for coming to the show. Really appreciate you doing this. You're a fantasy football expert, but a lover of all sports. And you are a New Jersey Nets fan to let people know how we're going to kind of start off our NBA portion of the, of the conversation, or at least give them a taste of what's coming. But, um, is there anything else people should, uh, or that you want people to know about you, Rick, before we, we get talking about basketball? No, thank you for that lovely introduction, Kyle. Thanks for having me on the show, Free Range Basketball Pod. Thanks for making my job title sound so cool. I'm a big fan of that. Uh, I would just say check out those apps. I'm just doing fun things for Boom, and uh, we're not DMing people anymore on Twitter. We're not doing the spam thing. If you know Boom Sports or Boom Fantasy, we have a checkered history with Twitter. We're not doing that anymore. Fantasy Football Expert actually is a funny one. I was named... Uh, I think it's Ryan McDowell who does these lists of content makers every year. And one year I was named as like top follow under a thousand followers. And that's like the only reason I ever cleared the thousand follower threshold. And then uh, people still ask me fantasy football advice, but I'm more prone now to just turn around and tell them what Evan Silva and Jake Seeley are, are doing because they are smarter than I am. Well, I guess then, uh, but don't you, uh, do you host any shows right now and all that kind of stuff? Like, or, or when can people kind of catch content from you? Like, so right now there's no content from me, which is a shocker. I used to host a live three hour fantasy football countdown show on YouTube. That was the check down. That was my main jam. That was when I was writing for heavy.com. Heavy.com is a great place for all sorts of viral content. Uh, so I was wrote for clicks for three years and I was doing all sorts of content spamming, trying to get my name out there. And actually, I got that spam DM from Boom Sports. I DM them back, tell them how they were eroding their reputation. And we <laughs> went back and forth a couple more times and they offered me a job. So that is where I am today. It's a fun story. And I pay the bills with my DMs. That's fun. That's so fun. You've got a similarity with uh, uh, Professor Driz on Twitter. Uh Andre Snellings, who works for ESPN, is like their their main fantasy basketball expert, and he also does fantasy football stuff for the content for them as well. But uh, Andre Snellings, his his story about getting into writing fantasy basketball for RotoWire was he wrote them to tell them how terrible their coverage was, and they were like, "We'll start writing for us." Yes, like you know, and and that's how it all kind of cat you know started for him, and now he's the the ESPN dude. So 
One thing that I've learned in business is a really valuable tip is the best way to make yourself as an in is to present a, uh, not even a win-win, just a win for the other side. If you say, Hey, your stuff is bad. I can make it better here. Here is the better too. Yeah. That's the, if someone is just receiving help at no cost to them, they are much more likely to bring you into the fold because the value proposition is very good for them. It's also a, a reminder to people who are receiving criticism to say like to be open to it because those people give they 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 care enough to say something. So ask a follow up question like, you know, you know, can you help fix that problem, pal? There's nothing um, worse than someone's got their head in the sand and, and can't see the forest through the trees or, or not accepting of criticism. There's a difference between, you know, breaking someone down and, and trying to learn and trying to better yourself. And that's a great thing about Twitter is it's just a bunch of place people trying to make each other better. Isn't that right, Kyle? I don't think it's that at all. Um, <laughs> I, I love Twitter because there is a ton of information coming across it. But, um, you know, you're never going to get like you're never going to come to understand anything on Twitter. So it's really just everybody screaming into the void together. And I, some people like to argue on there. I, I don't even, I don't even like to have conversations anymore. Yeah. I, you know, like there's a part of me that doesn't even remember ever having typed up actual tweets on there because right now I'm so dedicated to like, look, I'm just going to retweet stuff and everybody can judge it for what it is. And the, the amount of different stuff I retweet, sometimes it's, Sometimes, of course, yes, I, this is something I agree with. But other times it's like, it's like, holy crap, look at how crazy this is. Check it out. Or another aspect of it is like, just be aware of this because there's something quirky about it or, or there's, you know, in the, the, the ongoing information battle between Biden and Trump and whatnot, it's just about kind of trying to keep track of all the different narratives that everybody's pushing at you and, I mean, I don't know if any of us can really say that we know what's going on, but but if you retweet, I like tracking it. If you retweet one thing that you wholeheartedly agree with, and then you retweet one thing where it's like, ah, I don't know, this is kind of sketchy, but everyone should be aware of it, and you just have a sam- you just have the same retweet stamp on both. Don't you think that's kind of doing people a disservice because you're essentially co-signing on both of those messages by just saying retweet? Um. But like, you know, a lot of people have in their bio, the retweet does not equal endorsement little symbol. That, that doesn't mean do. anything because when you're I, that, lost I in agree. someone's feed, you know what I mean? Like it, when in the law, the, the reality of a timeline and Twitter use, that's just not a practical thing to be like, nothing I retweet is how I actually feel. That just oh, feels yeah, no, like, no, I, I, to me, no, that always seemed like a, a business monetary thing over like, yeah. I endorse this line of thinking. I think that's a little more dangerous. Anyway, we could talk basketball for a little bit. Yeah, yeah. That well, I mean, that, it's cool. That's like the reason we started having the reason that you came on here, or the reason I was able to to reach out and 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 you were nice enough to come on the show is because of Twitter. So it's cool to talk about the dynamics of it and how we all interpret other people's retweets and stuff like that because it's it's interesting. I, I've had people tell me like, "Why do you like these things on Twitter?" And I'm like, "I use it as like a favorites." Like, it's just, it's storage. Like, I want to be able to, if I ever want to go reference something that, oh, hey, did I saw something like in the last day, I want to look more into it. Like, I'm, I'm filing that away. I don't, I don't heart all of these things. It's just the way Twitter set up, you're kind of forced to say, I like that. 
And then I don't even know why they show in the feed things that other people like. And I don't I know how going to through other that people's out of likes, though. I love going through other people's likes <laughs> because a lot of people don't know that you can see their likes. Right. And, and, and I like a lot of things. Like I have friends criticize me for liking too many things. Okay. Because I just give them out like candy. Some people yeah, are more right? judicious with their likes. Well, I but mean, what, but but there's a lot of reasons to like a tweet too, right? No. There's not? No, you like it because... you. Th well, that's the thing is like in the broad indication of what a heart on a tweet means, nobody in the standard perception, unless it was very explicit, is like... I'm liking things so I can refer back to them as information later. I do that for bookmarks. Bookmarks are private. I bookmark like videos and things that I like because like they can't be replies a tweet. The like is right there, dude. Yes, but the storage is different. Like I like sometimes I want to show my support to a tweet without a full retweet. And well, and the other thing is I didn't used to retweet controversial or like controversial stuff. I used to only retweet NBA things. And one of the reasons why I was using the like button button as a like a, a, a list to refer back to later was when I was the NBA editor at Rotowire, I was trying to make sure that we were getting all the content that we were supposed to be getting, producing all the player notes that we were supposed to be producing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, nobody gave a crap back then if if I was just liking a bunch of what your likes looked like. Yeah. Right. But now, it, so like, anyways, you know, so it is kind of like the perspective of how, how people consume things. And, and I think it's good to be mindful of that, but I also don't want to like, like if my intention and my way of using it is genuine and like in how I use it, then other people's interpretation of it. I don't know how much I should allow that to change my behavior. Yeah. No, I understand that. And I think the problem with it is just a the, the generalization of the term like favorites and like the symbolism of a heart and b like social media is what you want it to be, but that is not what you want it what what you want it to be is not what it is for everyone else. And so when right. you exist in the same space as everyone else, but you are essentially playing a different game, there could be <clears throat> some confusion and obviously people would 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 get confused. What is interesting is the way that um oh i just got crossed off on my point um <laughs> where i the uh where were we favorites um i mean talking about favorites and likes and how the even though i'm using them in a certain way that that i think is not offensive some people may see it and be like holy crap he's liking all these really offensive things and even though yeah or i just because i use it in a certain way doesn't mean that other people aren't consuming it in another context or and looking at it and saying like those hearts yeah. and those likes do in, mean that you heart and like this stuff. All right, I found my yeah. place. Uh, what I like about Twitter is what I was going to say is that we have been we have through other social media forms and now through a literal pandemic because we have bubbled ourselves and the echo chamber is now stronger than it's ever been. And Twitter, you have the ability, or rather Twitter has the ability because it's not just limited to who you're followed and who you're following, is people can say dumb things out into the ether and those people will be held accountable by the greater public. And that's the difference is I can privately call this person wrong in my life but when i see them take their stance public and i can say you're wrong on a public stage i think that's where twitter is really strong is like i <laughs> my favorite twitter story is 
it was like years ago when Twitter wasn't nearly as popular as it is now. And my buddy texted me out of nowhere. I was a very casual Twitter user. He was like, Terrell Owens just replied to my tweet. And I was like, oh, dude, that is so sick. What did you say? He says, I told him to go fuck himself. <laughs> I was like, ah, first of all, why? Why are you doing that? That is insane. Second of all, somewhere, Terrell Owens was holding his phone, saw that, and was compelled to respond with his thumbs. An interaction that could have never happened without this stupid bird yeah. app. And yeah. that is, to me, the brilliance of Twitter. It's the access to people that I would never, you included, people that I would never access otherwise with different thinking, different circumstances, and completely different takes on things that I would never think about because you are just much more likely to connect with people who you have think along the same lines with and agree with on things right yeah totally um uh have you had any interactions with uh famous people on twitter at all like good ones or funky ones i wouldn't say like famous like journalists dudes like journalist people sports people like people in the athletic i've talked to uh like dfs people i've talked to uh like prominent journalists in other industries like gaming like i talk to this mm -hmm. one games journalist regularly um but 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 no one like famous famous like no i i think that those people so i have a trick there those people have a tab when you get verified you have a new tab that says from verified accounts only yeah. and they only check that tab so once yeah, someone right? gets verified they're never looking at you <laughs> ever they're in right? a different social class at that it's point. true but when i was in the boom when i was running the boom fantasy account it was like verified with sixteen thousand followers there was so much more interaction with like quote unquote blue checks which is a whole nother stupid form of classism because people have no idea about the verification process they think it's like rigged but i have a little bit of insight on it and it honestly just makes sense you mean it okay if people people that complain that they're not verified when they should be literally just aren't as famous as they think they are yeah right but yeah. if i if i write three stories and 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 two go on like a prominent website and i'm in the credits of one tv show like i'll get verified tomorrow like it's literally mm -hmm. just an email to the verification person that you and i don't have you yeah. know but people think it's some sort of like shadow thing to like keep numbers down it's like it's not a real thing you're just not no, and any good and it's so bad any good agent would be able to find that email probably it's so bad in the fantasy community. It's so funny. It's you like, mean, ah, I have 15,000 followers for my running back start sits and I'm not verified. Like, you're not famous enough, dude. Yeah. I, I, it, it, I just, it's, it's cool. It, it definitely helps your profile if you're looking to build your profile in a big way. Uh, and, but I mean, I don't, I don't give a crap that I have a blue check mark or not. Be interesting. That's what helps yeah. grow your profile and talk to yeah. people. That's like literally, I can't like, have you, okay. So this is a good question. Have you ever had a tweet go like insanely, insanely viral? I don't, I don't think I ever have because I also, I don't, even when I was well, your mostly doing. Right now, so it can't. Huh? Your account's private right now, so it, no. It I opened can't. it up when oh, I you opened it up. Oh, cool. When with the podcast starting back up, I'm like, oh, well, I'm go. having these conversations. I'm yeah, I'm having these conversations. So, so let's let's open it up. But I still don't. I don't really want to have conversations on Twitter because I don't like sitting on my phone typing. It's like it's not even that. Like I don't want to have the conversation. It's like I don't want to expend the amount of time I have to do to sit here on my phone having you know, like plus we're not gonna we're not gonna understand each other. 
because we're not talking. You're not hearing my voice. You're just, you know, there's, it's just, there's not enough spirit in the text like yes. for you to really like get what I'm trying to say. So, so if you want to take offense, you'll probably take offense. It's and, pretty much why I stopped using Facebook entirely because I will oh, get it'll. heated with strangers. But once I found out it's like somebody's uncle or some shit, I'm like, I can't sit here and argue with you in the comments. Like I got thing, I got a life, man. At least on Twitter, I can keep it brief. Like I have to play with the character limit. Facebook, it's like, here is your argument. And here is point by point why your argument sucks. Like, dude, I have a job. Like I'll get sucked in. The discourse, yeah. man, the discourse. Well, after the 2016 election, I, I got off Facebook because I was arguing Fair. with family members. Fair. It's tough. Yeah. Yeah. But um, right, hey, let's talk some NBA. Thanks for uh, just going on about whatever. That's kind of what this whole free range thing supposed to be about. Love it. Yeah. Um. But let's talk about some NBA. You are an NBA fan. You grew up in... Did you grow up in New Jersey? You said you live in New Jersey, but did you grow up there? Lifelong Dirty Jersey resident. It's embarrassing. A lot of these girls' Bumble profiles are in every... They got five pictures in every different country. I'm not... A, I don't consider myself a well-traveled individual. I'm a Jersey. I won't say Jersey till I die because I have been here for an insanely long period of time. But I do absolutely love it here. <laughs> That's great. I mean, it's good to, to love where you live. Um... I just moved back home recently, and after being away for ten years, I'm like, "Holy crap, this place is way prettier." Or, you know, I I took it I took it um, took it for granted in certain respects, just how beautiful the the Michigan shoreline is and stuff yeah. like that. And like like I like I didn't realize like I grew up in a beach town. Like that's pretty cool. You know, there's water everywhere, which just is kind of fills you with uh I don't know. There's something to the the bigness of lakes. Oh, and all there's that. there's definitely something about being on the water that is that that just is uh fulfilling to a certain extent. It, it really it connects you. I, I think it gives you perspective. It's like oh, that's how big that is. Here I am. Um, those these fish in these lives so stupid. That's the story about the man on the boat, right? Uh, you're gonna have to share that one with me. The the rich man is is walking down the street and he sees a a poor man asleep in his boat and he's like look at this look at this lazy idiot and the guy in the boat looks up at him he's like what do you do he's like i'm a businessman i work hard every single day and eventually i'll i'll, I'll buy a boat and i'll retire and and i'll, I'll be on the boat all on the water and I, and I and i'll live in peace what do you do he's like i'm a fisherman i wake up spend all day on the water i drink beer with my friends i have a perfect life and I'm botching this story, but do you see what essentially the message is that the, yeah. about the perspective? I really botched that story. I no, thought, no, no, the, the bow is not nearly as nice as I wanted to tie it. But yeah, it's basically that perspective of like, what's important to you? Like, where are your values? Where are your goals? Like, water is a, a connector for a lot of people. I feel like it's a peaceful place for a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but the Michigan winter's coming, baby. Yeah, it is. And I'm not looking forward to that. But I just spent 10 years in Wisconsin and those winters are way worse. So I'm actually looking forward to a little bit mi more mild of a of one. What about the, uh, Detroit Pistons basketball? I, you know, there's some interesting things. The, the fact that there's a new GM in uh, Troy Weaver is is cool. Uh, I, I still like Luke Kennard. Uh, I like Bruce Bowen. Or not Bruce Bowen, Bruce Brown, Bruce Bowen. I wish we had Bruce Bowen, <laughs> <laughs> Bruce Brown. Um, you know, th there's things to like about Blake Griffin, but it's hard to believe that you're going to reach big heights with him being the player that he is. Mm -hmm. I, I don't even think his contract is necessarily like so 
so egregious these days, especially with just two years left on it. But um, yeah, no, there's there's things to like about uh, the Pistons. I do like Dwayne Casey. I don't like everything he does, but I think he's an awesome dude. And um, I think he's a pretty darn good coach. Uh, it's It'll be interesting to see what they do. They, they have to make a decision on whether or not to to re-sign Christian Wood. Um, and I, I believe he's unrestricted, so he can go where he wants to, I, I think, which is, if that's true, if he is unrestricted, I'm sorry, I don't have that pulled up right he's now. He's a nice little player, though. Is he? I think I mean, he, he's a sixth man. I mean, right? you love his size and the fact that he's he. There's a lot of things to like about Christian Wood. Yeah, but he played so well on such a bad team after the Andre Drummond trade, and put up such good stats percentage wise that I think, like, is he going to go out and get paid, and then he's going to end up being just like a sixth or seventh man because eventually a team looks at it and goes like, look, we, we're we not winning with this guy playing as our starting center or power forward. Well, it's the problem. Guys like Christian Wood, and they shine in like a, a spot where their usage is way above what it would be on a winning team, and then they get paid like a winning player. That's just like a, a fallacy of of, 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 of of production to a certain extent. Right, and I don't, I just don't trust that his production from last year was legitimate. Well, so, I'll put it like this way. It's it's binary. Are you getting closer to a championship or farther away, right? Do you think the Pistons are even headed in the right direction? Because I think they'd have to go back before they went forwards. I don't have any faith that they're headed in the right direction because yeah. I don't I don't But then again, there's a new GM. So mm-hmm. with a new mindset there, I'm open-minded to the possibility that Troy Weaver might do the right things and make the right moves and um start to have discussions with Dwayne Casey about making sure that if, if Casey's not playing the right dudes, he's bringing in different guys yeah, and things like fair. that. Um, but I don't know. How do you feel about your nets? Now you've got, you got Kyrie and KD looking Kyrie said he's healthy. KD we're seeing pictures of him uh, practicing and, and realistically he probably could have returned at some point last season if they, if they wanted to make a run for this championship, but holding them out wasn't, I mean, you're going to do whatever KD wants to do. We're the we're the Kardashian team right now, basically, right? Like we are the most entertaining team. And you talk about that binary scale. We're about as close to a championship as you can get. We're like at that level where nothing else is really acceptable to a certain extent, even in the players' minds. It's not even like a franchise development issue. These are guys whose careers are defined not by successful seasons, not by how far they can take bad teams, but on titles. They chase ghosts. They chase history. The interesting dynamic is, A, there's only one basketball, which I think is a huge flaw in the Nets roster construction. They need two basketballs on the court if they want to be maximum effective. I think everybody knows that, and I hope they really work on that in the offseason, getting a second and that's, ball out there. You're saying that mainly because they have so many guys who's like, if Kyrie and KD with the ball in the hands, what yeah, well, Kyrie and KD, it's Spencer Dinwiddie, it's Karis Levert. These guys are at their best with the ball in their hands. Well, you don't even get that's the thing is how far do you go down to, to a good of a good player like Karis Levert? You know what I mean? Like a good spot up shooter like Joe Harris. Like, will See, who's they, more important between Karis Levert and Joe Harris? Yeah, when when Kyrie and KD are on the court, Joe Harris, because you want a corner, you want a Danny Green. Yeah, exactly. Right? Like, Karis is, in a lot of ways, 
a poor man's Katie Kyrie hybrid. He can drive the lane. He can slash. He's not much of a shooter, but between his handles and his, his aggressiveness, he can get to the rim. He can get to the stripe, but he is a perfect guy to come in and dominate a second unit. So for me, it's like the minute and the rotation are just as important as the roster construction for the nets. And then you have, I don't know if my doorbell went off. I just got a package from Amazon. Um, if you can hear it, um, the roster construction is just as important as the minutes. And then you got a guy who's never been a coach before. And he's, he's, he's running the show, a soccer guy. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so we're going to call Steve Nash back to back MVP, a, a soccer guy. We got a Canadian <laughs> running our team. Unbelievable. So like is, is Steve Nash, uh, next is a nose guy. Is he a peacekeeper guy or is he a, a motivator guy Truthfully, what is his biggest strength as a coach? I would I would love to know at least that going into the season. Yeah, I mean, he knows the game. And I'm sure that he he's I mean, he was a point guard. He's Do you think that makes one him of the best coach, point guards though? ever? Barry Bonds is a bad hitting coach, a very bad hitting coach because you have to you can't see the baseball like Barry Bonds. You can't just see the court like Steve Nash, you know what I mean? Right. There's there's the old uh I think it was Wilt Chamberlain or or somebody else. They they somebody told the story about how they brought in this this guy to to teach defensive rebounding, and it was an all time great. And the all time great comes in and starts talking to like this NBA team, and he's like, "Okay, well, how do I how do I rebound better?" I think it was Dennis Rodman, and 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 Rodman thinks about it from like angles and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. He's trying to guess how the ball is going to come off the rim and all this kind of stuff. And, and it, it might have been Moses Malone. And he was a somewhat prolific rebounder from history. And he's like, well, when they shoot the ball and it comes off the rim, you go get the ball. And he was That's just it. like, go get the ball. That was That's the it. whole thing. Michael Jordan, not a good coach. Magic Johnson, not a good coach. Dick Vitale, maybe he knows basketball. Horrible in the NBA. But I mean, most <laughs> NBA coaches are the point guards, right? To a certain extent, but that doesn't mean they're they're all good. You know what I mean? Like, no, no, no. I mean, I don't doubt a lot of them right now. It's, it's, it's legitimate to have questions about whether or not Steve Nash is going to be successful or not, especially in an environment that's Kardashian. Like, what do you think about the idea that a a point guard who doesn't like to me, Jacques Vaughn is a much better point guard as a coach because he's a guy who wasn't, I would not call him athletically special. Right. So that's a guy who, you know, really knows the ins and outs of basketball right that's i mean could that be said about steve nash though because he really just kind of like used change of pace and screens exceed extremely well and was a terrific passer and also just crafty and getting his layout i mean kind of rudimentary but but that great 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 work getting him off change of pace and the way you rub off screens we could almost call that playing style and then that's a really hard thing to push on a Kyrie and a kevin durant see and that's the biggest thing is like the way Kyrie plays, it's yeah. uh, bless you. Good. Um, you. Yeah, no problem. The way Kyrie uh, plays, just the way he plays is, it's not team friendly. You know, he's a he's he's one of the greatest dribblers in the league. But like Steph Curry uses his dribbling to get open to shoot, whereas I feel like Kyrie over dribbles, and it's almost performance art for him. In, in a lot of respects. I think the difference there is nobody talks about how good Steph Curry moves without the basketball. And he is so good without the basketball. Kyrie Irving is not. Kyrie yeah. Irving's thought when he doesn't have the basketball is, when am I getting the ball? 
One's the ball in my hand. <laughs> so whereas Steph Curry can get his shot by moving without screens, Kyrie's like, I need to make, I need to move the man in front of me myself with my own skills to get the space for my shot. And I think that's, like I said, like that's philosophy. Like that's, you talk about trying to change philosophy of a Kyrie Irving, like Steve yeah. Nash might be able to up, uphill battle in that specific uh, problem. <laughs> like Jesus, man. Is there anybody who's got a more, you know, hardline personal philosophy in the, in the NBA? Uh, man. So how do you, well, what do you feel about that center situation? Because the, the, the vets seem to want Deandre Jordan to be the guy, but I, I like Jared, Jared Allen. Allen. I love Jared I like, Allen, but he's yeah. clearly undersized. Like he loses in the postseason. He loses. So do it, it is a lot of style things that are interesting about regular season versus postseason versus how this team wants to play because you know if jared allen's not a good big man why does he why are his rebound numbers and block numbers very good you know what i mean Mm -hmm. but then you know just getting a very tall player doesn't do a lot for your offense jared allen's really really good in the pick and roll and a lot of people don't talk about that and he makes some pretty big blocks though too like game changing blocks. He's a good defensive player and he's young and he's hungry and I'm always going to take the young hungry player over a guy who's like on his third multi multi million dollar contract and like a third team in 4 years. And uh, yeah, that's just it. When I watch Jared Allen play, like I'm not saying he doesn't make mistakes, but he's out there trying hard most of the time when I'm watching him whereas DeAndre Jordan over the years uh, I just feel like I've seen him kind of loaf about too much and take what take what he can get, not go get stuff, not make st- not make things happen. Absolute legend of missing his own shot and getting his own rebound and putting <laughs> it in to inflate those numbers. And if I were that tall, it would be my go-to. That would be my post move. Would be shooting a bunny off a of front rim and smashing it back down just so I could get rebound and points with my stats. I don't care about field goal percentage. Now you know my secret. If you know what's going to make you money and get you get you that next contract. That's the other just, thing. Yeah. You know, so you having have the right stats helps. Playing to the negotiating table. Savvy yeah. move. This is not a, you know, this is a job at the end of the day. Um, any other thoughts on the, the Nets before we move on to a little bit of a uh, kind of news from the NBA? I just think they got a target on their back and I'm, I'm interested. I'm, the Nets are fascinating at their current cons- construction, but I think on a lot of levels, the Knicks are more interesting because they could go in 55 different ways, including straight down again. And there is much more energy, emotional energy poured into the Knicks being good than maybe any other team in basketball. So I just think that their, their development, excuse me, geez, I was unprofessional. Their development is always worth watching. No, if anything, that's a that's a good point you make because it's an argument against manifestation. Uh, with all the the hope that is put into the Knicks and how terrible they've been, uh, doesn't seem like people are really manifesting uh, success for the Knicks. Or maybe Dolan's <laughs> just, just that big of a roadblock in in the uh, spiritual battle that they're having. That well, man, you know, manifestation is only so much if you yourself don't hold the keys to process change. You know what I mean? Like, there's a difference between visualizing success and then being the tools to your own success. And like, Knicks fans are just at the whims of a rich guy who wants to play in a jazz band. You know what I mean? Like, 
James Dolan would much rather tour nationally as JD in the straight shot than own two sports teams. That's just the reality of the situation. If you don't believe that, you don't know your JD in the straight shot. Yeah. If you don't, James Dolan. Yeah. If you don't believe that, then you don't really understand New York sports. Like this is a guy who has money and is interested in his things and just happens to own the Knicks and Rangers. Which, hey, man, like if you if you're rich, I want you to spend your money on things that make you happy. So if it's if big can, rich guy energy, yeah, right. But I mean, there is something really uh, kind of sleazy about like using your position as the Madison Square Garden owner to uh, to leverage that to be able to play in front of pretty much anybody that nah, comes that's in. Sle- there. That's not sleazy. I would do that. Sleazy would be making it halftime of every Knicks game. But the fact that I could play my own venue because I own it. Don't geez, give my what do you own the What do you own the building for? What are you in the building for if you can't open for the Eagles as your own band? Come on, man. It's amazing. Amazing stuff. What's interesting is, is I think that he has, it has impacted him personally because he understands that it's his New York legacy and him, him. I think that he, that throwing money at Phil Jackson, he thought was genuinely a smart business move. Throwing money at the, the, the skeleton of Phil Jackson, the fossil of Phil Jackson, the GM, not, the coach, which was what he had all his success doing after getting, you know, inheriting the greatest player on earth, uh, the GM, and he screwed the pooch so hard. The thing is, you know, as much as James Dolan is uh, derided on social media, and and I think rightfully so because he's just not a good, not a good team owner. But he obviously must be getting some uh, fruits of of that in in his interactions throughout New York, you know, like everybody's going to be nice to him in his face because this guy can give you tickets, you know? No, people hate him. You don't know New York. (laughs) Nope. That's not how New York works. But, but the people around New York, people around him though, they're going to be sick of in some respect. Oh, everybody, every rich guy has yes, men. That's the whole, you know, that's why rich guys get, you know, they do their thing and then they slowly lose money. It's like clogs to clogs in three generations. uh, phrase. Clogs to what? Clogs to clogs in three generations. I've never heard that. Oh, it's like the first generation starts poor, works his ass off, moves to middle class, provides a stable financial life for his child. His child takes the fruits of that, builds off that middle class success, gets an upper class education, prospers. And then that that person raises a child who wakes up on third, thinks they hit a triple is it, it thinks that everything they touch turned to gold because that's what happened to their their two generations before them and then they're back where you started in poverty okay. clogs to clogs, clogs in three generations clogs. yeah wooden shoes right yeah that's what clogs are yeah 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 okay <laughs> not Just like so everybody's Drano. on the same page here not we're like not talking about like yeah. you know beer clogs to clogs some kind of beer <laughs> um all right let's talk about the svg hire with the pelicans i touched on it yesterday with uh with uh Christopher uh, Gordon, that was that was on uh, episode two, but um, I would love to hear your opinion of SVG being the new Pelicans coach, um, and then I'll just kind of give any new thoughts that I have. I think it's fascinating that SVG can't quit the game. SVG can't yeah. quit the game, man. He is so ready to not be a basketball executive, to not be in basketball affairs. He knows that it's a place that will grind him down and command all these hours and pull him from his family. And yet the allure of a young upstart franchise with a potential global superstar, it's addiction. It's it's a, he is addicted 
to to basketball and to 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 running a basketball and to leading men. That is a real thing that has its hold on him. And he, <laughs> it would be so easy for him to be the leading television analyst. Like he's great yeah. at TV. He's great at TV. And he's been a great Twitter follower for the last couple of months. Yeah. And he started dipping yeah. his toes. He says whatever he thinks, but now he's going to have to button it all up again because he's back on the bench and he's got a legitimate chance to win a title. He's never won a title, right? He got close. No, uh, he made it to the championship with Orlando. With Orlando, uh, with Orlando yeah. and so he's and, you never know, he been was there. Part of the Miami Heat situation when they were getting good with uh, Dwayne Wade and Shaq, but then they fired him to put exactly. in Bolstra. Exactly. So he has never climbed the mountaintop. He's a guy who ha- definitely deserves to be on the mountaintop. He's a brilliant basketball mind, at least in my opinion. He understands the game incredibly well, and now he's got. Just as about as good of a young roster as anyone could ask for. I would say the Pelicans and like the Thunder are two of just the best situations in basketball outside of like the elite, elite teams. Like, where would you want to start and like have a roster really that's exciting to work with? That's that's a good basketball team. I'll come back to the Pelicans, but I, I like that you just mentioned the Thunder as one of the most exciting young rosters. Um, I guess when you say that it's mo- a lot, some people might be like, well, then why did Billy Donovan leave? And, and who do you mean? Like, who do they actually have? It's like, be, be, you know, they're, they're losing Daniel Gallinari. Chris, Chris Paul is old. Like Steven Adams. Isn't that young. Like SGA bro. I agree. Anybody who's ever watched SGA play know that he's like a budding star. Like, yeah, he's going to be an all-star. It's so for obvious. Year. And the Clippers yeah. were so stupid for letting him go. Uh, probably, they probably needed to to make the deal work because he's such yeah. a coveted piece. But the fact that the Thunder are like swimming in like exciting youth talent with the opportunity to add a lot more exciting youth talent, like that takes a very specific coach because you're basically running a college team where everyone's a millionaire. And that that has a potential to be so disastrous from a behind the scenes standpoint because it's just young personalities trying to be cohesive and win without a lot of maturity. It's like that thing where it's like the Thunder made the finals with like Durant, Abaka, and Westbrook. We're like, oh, they're going to be here every year for the next 10 yeah. years. And then maybe they thought they were going to be there every year for the next 10 years. And the NBA just really like it's a grind. And when you don't have guys that like recognize the grind or are ready to embrace the grind that I feel like that could go South fast from a culture standpoint. The, one of the younger guys that I've really, that I'm hopeful will continue to develop and has shown some good, good, uh, good moments is Darius Baisley. Uh, What do you think about him on the thunder? I think he's an interesting player. I think he had a nice bubble run. The thing, <laughs> the funny thing is like, I, I learned a lot about it. These thunder guys in the bubble. And I don't know how you feel about the bubble, but to me, it's like, this is like a radical blanket statement, but I feel like if you thrived in the bubble and you never thrived in the NBA, you might be a guy that like, doesn't like crowds or like gets anxious in front of like big crowds or like the moment because like there's definitely a thing about like being able to nail threes in an empty gym and like if an nba player were to walk into an empty gym he would just bury 23s in your face like it's totally different between playing in the nba and playing in the bubble so mm-hmm. when i see like young guys like explode and do things they've never done and I'd be like who is this guy like when a guy was like unrecognizable from who he was outside of the bubble it was like well, does he get nervous? Like, what is this? So, like, I'm hopeful <laughs> for guys like Baisley and like Dort, but like, I truly feel like I don't even know who they are as players. Yeah, I don't really trust that Dort's going to uh, be much more than a defensive specialist. 
down the road, but which can he's, give you a long career in this league. Right, but he could be a a pesky Marcus Smart kind of strong guy who isn't necessarily tall, but he just he enforces his will defensively on guys regardless of their size. You know, the way that Marcus Smart will match up against Kristaps Porzingis better than anybody else on the Celtics at times. Um, but no, the, the, the Thunder are interesting. Uh, moving back to the Pelicans and the Stan Van Gundy being the new head coach there. It's uh, what do you think they're going to do at the center position? Because we saw uh, Alvin Gentry kind of trying to use um, Zion Williamson as a bit of an undersized center and playing Derek Favors more limited minutes. I know I don't I don't think a lot of people look at Derek Favors and think that he can play huge minutes consistently and stay healthy. Mm-hmm. I think he's kind of considered somebody who's more of a a 24 to 30 minute a night guy at most. But it'll be interesting to see exactly how SVG rolls things out there, who he leans on, how that rotation plays out. I love their roster, though, so I kind of hope they bring back the same guys and just see if they can uh, take a step forward with a little bit of growth in their youth. Yeah, I mean, it depends on who you play at the five, but I think there's they have no uh, shortage of, of guys who can shoot the basketball and, and, and guys who are exciting. You know, so like as a roster, even if they were to subtract a piece to make the unit more cohesive or more balanced, I think they're just overall in a great position, asset wise, talent wise, contract wise, age wise. Like that's the kind of roster that gets an SVG out of retirement. Yeah, you always hear people bringing up Drew Holiday as a somebody they might want to trade. And I'm just like, why would you trade Drew holiday? He's don't get, don't trade Drew holiday. Like, it's yeah, crazy. He's, he's like the perfect leader for all these young guys. And he's the perfect guy to. he's, he's never going to, he's going to fit into whatever role the team thinks is best for him to fit into. And like, there's nothing better than that to have. And, um, yeah, I don't know. Well, it'll be, it'll be, hopefully they end up, like I said, I hope they keep the whole roster because I want to see if these guys can grow into something special. I love Lonzo Ball. Um, and Drew I Holiday, hope he finds more consistency than what the, uh, the horror show that was the bubble for him. I mean, he was terrible in the bubble, yeah. but, but Drew Holiday is a guy we talk about an inexperienced team. He's a guy you can put on that team to uh, what I feel is keep everybody level and right the ship. He is mm-hmm. to me that type of mature established player he knows the grind. He knows the playoffs. He knows almost better than anyone the highs and lows of professional basketball. He's missed extended time with injury. He knows what it's like to bounce back and make a full recovery. He is just the definition to me of like a mature veteran leader. So I can see why other teams want him, but I can't understand why you would have a ton of young assets and then trade him of all people. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you it would just it would have to be the right trade and you would have to be sitting there saying like we're getting back a piece that makes our team better because of the new the new way it's constructed and because we already have other guys who can handle the ball in both Lonzo Ball and uh Brandon Ingram and Zion Williams Williamson being Zion Williamson, right? <laughs> yeah, Zion Williamson. Williamson? Huh? Um so yeah, it's it's a great roster and it'll be interesting to see exactly how it all plays out because even like Kendrick Williams off the bench, I mean uh or yeah, am I remembering his right name right? This is the, the danger. Isn't it Kenrick? Ken- right? Isn't yeah, it Kenrick? Ken- yeah. There's a lot of similar names, my bad. Anyways, um let's get let's get uh let's get out of 
out of sports really quick and into some politics and talk a little bit of religion. You down with sure. that? Sure. All <laughs> right. Um, what's your, you know, these are just going to be some like overarching questions. You can kind of take them wherever you, you want to go with them. Uh, what's your political journey been like through your life? Did you grow up with certain values and have they changed over time? I'm not answering that. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> talk about politics. And again, this is the Rick Rosen, as you can Rosen. find him on Twitter. Rosen. Rosen. Rick Rosen. I should have clarified that. I'll correct the hell out of you, man. Fuck oh, thanks. Man. All right. So my politics. I um, was raised in a in a New Jersey upper middle class suburb. Pretty Republican town. My parents are Republican. My dad used to drive me to football practice listening to Rush Limbaugh. Uh, watched Hannity and Combs. Is uh, big conservative. And pretty much since... <sighs> late high school i guess so we're talking like oh nine ish oh eight oh nine i wouldn't say because of obama um because of a lot of things i was starting to move left and that gradually progressed uh wasn't super politically informed until really like 2015 2016 when i started getting big mad about things and then i you know was not super enthused about 2016 and then was blindsided by the result and then just progressively got madder and madder to the point where I was like, truthfully was telling people like, what's it going to take for people to get out into the streets? And then you actually saw it, which I think is just, first of all, you know, narcissistically it's validating to me but <laughs> it's good to see that people actually are mad enough to take their beliefs out into the street so right now i'm 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 pretty far to the left and 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 that's how i identify myself politically and i think that's a product of a lot of the things around us yeah i mean i used to be you know i used to be like as i've shared uh in the last couple of shows i tried to kind of give a, a baseline of of who i am so i don't want to repeat myself too much uh if you listen to those shows but like i was a bernie bro in 2016 all the way and i ended up voting third party i'm not planning on voting this year until like i it's just give me something to vote for show me that the establishment's changing that the corruption and the systems that we have are changing so that what about the what about the erosion of the establishment? What do you mean? What about the ero what about the erosion of norms? So there's a difference between show me something and 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 we need to we need to push back against something. I I agree overall to a certain extent that politicians are two wings of the same bird. But I also believe in this sense one wing is necrotic and decay. So I understand resentment towards one side, but I am a big proponent of 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 reversing just an unfathomable amount of damage done over the past few years. So I I I you know, everybody is allowed to make their own decision, but I wouldn't say that 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 this is a, an election like any other election. You're, oh, you no, and I have no, not at all. anything like this in our lifetimes. It's well, not even remotely like, close. What, what, so, so like the, you know, you said like, it's going to take people being out in the streets or whatever, or there's going to be, you know, something to that effect. Like it's, um, and then we saw it this year with the 
the not just the protests, but like you know some of the 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 chaos around the protests that that resulted. And it's just like I wish we had reporting that we could all rely on that we felt was coming from a a place of you know g- giving everybody the perspective of the truth and not just the perspective of whatever uh outlet that person happens to be reporting from or whatever uh group of people they're placating with their ideals like i just want the truth i want genuineness i want i want to understand like well is you know why did we have like 149 different riots or you know riots in 149 different cities like why were people rioting in Bo- in Boise Idaho like they're mad or in Fargo North Dakota because they're mad my tiny town that graduated uh, my high school class graduated 162 white kids we, pretty much I mean we have outliers obviously but it's 95% white by the last census there was a protest at my high school I, I couldn't fathom it hmm. literally I did not graduate I don't believe I apologize if I'm forgetting someone did not graduate with an African-American classmate to see my tiny town protest and talk about how mad they are at the high school, which is across the street from the police station and how mad they are uh, against police corruption and overstepping of personal liberties. I thought that was very impactful. And the fact that it trickled down from cities to small communities that previously were not mad enough to get out in the street, that, 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 the fact that small towns hit a breaking point was, I think, a huge turning point. But like, um, I guess like that, that like that wasn't that was like you truly peaceful, right? Like there wasn't anything violent that happened at that protest. It was just people marching and, and stuff, right? Overwhelming majority of protests are peaceful. Right. No, absolutely. Majority. Absolutely. No. My, see, um, my whole can like, here's the thing, like, yeah. If, if a target, like when I saw the first, the first building that I think a lot of people saw uh, get set on fire or whatever, or get looted was, uh, was that target in Minneapolis. And when I saw that, I was like, Hey man, we've been locked down for how long people haven't had jobs for how long they're not getting the, some people aren't getting the support that they should, you know, it's taking six to 12, you know, six to eight weeks for a lot of people to get their, their unemployment insurance, like actually to come through, like people are struggling. The fact that some people want to go in and take some stuff from target in in the chaos. And I would, yeah, some people are going to take advantage of the situation, but there's, there's also people who are going to be like, this is my opportunity to try and feed my family for the next week and a half or whatever, you know, like I'm going to go take something that, so I just like, but imagine, imagine a member of your community is killed and the outrage is over a building. Well, the, the, see, but the, my, my, uh, my biggest contention, like, see, so that's me trying to say, like, I understand certain aspects of it, but my contention is like, that's not like the fact that so many small businesses or random buildings would get burnt down or whatever. Like, like, it's one thing if you're going to go to the, and I'm not advocating any of this. I'm just saying, no, like, me neither. like, you know, like from a political standpoint, like if you're trying to make a if you're going trying trying to make a point, like fight the power, fight the power. Don't don't hurt small business owners. You know what I'm saying? Don't hurt your community. I think every every episode of anarchy and the here's the problem here: the general erosion of norms feeds into mass confusion, which is primed for opportunists. Yeah. Because if 
I wanted to steal, if I stole from Target every Tuesday and then the next, I wake up on Tuesday and there, everybody's looting the Target. Like the, like what the hell, man? That's you know your what corner. I mean? Like <laughs> that sounds like th- it's just another day for someone who's looking to fuck shit up. I'm sorry. I know you don't yeah. want people cursing on your podcast, but the fact that we have protests in the street with a legitimate gripe and people want to say, your argument is null because a building got destroyed. Like, have you ever, when you were a kid and you broke something and you run to your parents and go, I, I, and you say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And they go, say, hey, listen, or, 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 or even better, a fire drill. And they're like, you can't take all your belongings because we can get you another backpack, but we can't get another you. That's what they would always say to you in a school fire drill. Yeah, I, yeah, I can get you another pencil case. I can't get another you. There's nothing, we can't not value human life. And we can't say because of property damage that this statement, this uh, uh, activism is null and void because that is a huge opportunity for bad actors and opportunists to negate any progress, anything. Um, Why does anything, why does anything matter if there's one, if there's, you know, slips along the way, you know? Yeah. Well, that's shit. Nobody wants, I don't think anybody wants, Okay, (laughs) there's obviously going to be an exception, but in a general sense, like most people, nobody wants to see anybody shot needlessly. You know, nobody wants to see anybody uh, killed needlessly. Like, and in some of the videos we've seen this year, especially uh, the George Floyd one, like that, that just looked like a, that looked like a murder. Like the way Mm -hmm. that if you watch that whole video and like nine minutes, Derek, you're not going to get up nine Derek, Derek Chauvin and George Floyd worked alternating security shifts at the same club. They were not strangers. They yeah, were for like, they, I think it was for like two years or something like they were yeah, not so strangers. It, exactly. This is a community and this is a, this is a power flex. This is what that role is associated with. The, the, the role of police in society historically has had racist roots. It's, starts with systemic racist roots it starts with enforcing neighborhoods and keeping them a certain way and me going back to my small town roots this caused me to reflect of the encounters that i had with police and the otherworldly treatment that i received whereas i in my 16 year old brain oh the way these fucking cops harass me is um, they're just pulling me over because i'm a kid like oh my god could it have been a thousand times worse with the situations that i put myself in as a as a reckless teenager were like, you combative though like or i wasn't or were combative you, but did I was your doing parents it. tell you how to interact in those situations though too like did you have at least some guidance in regards to like how to deal with because like it is you know like, i've never there had is a gun certain... pulled on me that's the thing though here's the, oh, it, uh, it's never been escalated it's the unlawful on the street more brother it's the it's the, i mean i've you know it's four kids driving around town smoking weed you know what i mean like getting pulled yeah. over and you know yeah. obviously looking high as you know whatever and the cops being like where are you coming from where are you going and us being <laughs> like we're lost we're not from here so like like trying to get to white made, castle you know in college i had i was uh I had one, I told, I told an officer that I had come from a bar and I had one beer, four cops showed up, patted down, never anything rough, never anything violent, no guns drawn, but, but God, it could be a billion, million, trillion times worse if cops wanted it to be. And there's no repercussion for me. I have no say in the matter. Um, I'm all, I, I think the, uh, I think the, 
the slogan that got ended up using like as a the defund the police i just thought it was stupid because like you're not sell you're only selling that to one side of the one side of the aisle like there's only like a certain mindset that's going to listen to that like i just thought it was bad uh advertising um i understand but that's the extremes that we have to talk because the goalposts have been moved so far like the goalposts of military spending spending and politics and we can talk we're talking about this later but the the fact that the goalposts have moved so far that uh, police have so much power and receive so much money and the government is willing to bend over backwards to them so far we have to take drastic action like so many things need to be done because kyle if the police got no money next week they wouldn't have to sell their hummers they wouldn't have to sell their their wholesale military equipment that they're getting. You know what I mean? Like Kenosha rolled tanks through the streets. They're a, it's a small town. No, I don't. You know yeah, I don't agree with any of that. Like the, our our, why, our local police should not be militarized. Why does the fire department have a pancake breakfast to build to, to buy a new truck, but the cops have new Dodge Chargers every year? It's insane how much money the police command from their from their constituents and how little they actually serve them. It's great. And if, if you're getting all this free equipment and all this stuff just kind of handed to you as well or given to you at wholesale prices, then why do you need to beef up your budgets by doing speed traps and stuff like that, too? Like if, if there's really a, an issue with people speeding too much in a certain area, maybe it's because that's the flow of the traffic there or you, you know what I'm saying? Like you don't have to punish people needlessly. And I, I feel like a lot of the times we do see the, the power of the police put themselves in a, a way that makes them combative with people rather than being the, the, uh, the community service members that they're essentially supposed to be the community protectors that they're supposed to be the, the guy that you run to when you need help, if you see them. And that's why, like, I hate unmarked police cars. So bad. I, uh, you know, like I want them to be bright and something that says like, Hey, we're here to help. Yeah. You know? And, I, and, and that's where I want them to be regarded, not feared. My biggest problem with New York cops in particular is that they don't live in the communities that they police. And I understand that's not an ideal situation for all police officers, but I do feel like you should live in the community you police. And it's critical to, to effective policing because right. being in the community and knowing the community is so important for that dynamic because the cops wield so much power on the street. They are not only enforcing the law now, they are interpreting it and they are bending it to their will. And so for those people to live in the suburbs and commute into a city that is not a place they chose to live with people they did not choose to live with and enforce those people, you are essentially uh, an invading force. There's... There needs to be legislation that makes it takes away the the contention between the people and our police. There needs to be a uh, because that division that those combative things that that are done, whether it's beefing up their budgets by seizing things that they shouldn't seize. You know, somebody's traveling to go make a go buy a business and they've got $75,000 in cash. And these are stories that you can find in the Washington Post that were covered over the last several years. And they're just going to buy a business. Well, they get pulled over for something like a, a missing taillight or whatever, which obviously they shouldn't have if they're but still like you don't seize all their cash and then hold it for a year or two while they have to fight to get that cash back. And it's like, if they had a legitimate reason to go do that, have that cash and to do that and to travel over those, that, that, you know, that space, like 
we should have justice. We should have reasonable. Um, yeah, we should have reasonable justice that people can rely on that isn't corrupt. Unfortunately, like all these things that are systemic issues in our society, I think it's more about corruption than it is about like people being bad, like individuals and people in general being bad people or racist or this or that. Like, I think a lot of it's corruption and, and people taking advantage of the things that we allow ourselves to think are dividing us. And the reason I have that perspective is just because when I walk through my life and granted, just because I don't see a war outside my window, it doesn't mean that there's not one existing across on the other side of the world. I get that. Yeah. But I don't live in, I don't live around people who like are mean, you know, every, a lot of people, I'm everybody I meet during my day are like polite and stuff. So like, it's just hard for me to see some of the, some of the rage and the anger that I used to think was out there and that I would get kind of worked up about on social media. I don't, it's harder for me to let myself get there also because I actively try to protect myself from, I guess, feeling that, that anxiety or, or that, that anger, not to say that I don't acknowledge that the, the problems still are there, you know, in some context. Well, when you say you don't agree with defund the police, do you think that police, that the system is effective? Like the current structure of, policing no dude not okay. at all because i just think that like but i don't trust you... the courts i don't trust well yeah them. well the courts have been stacked <laughs> one way right now but i also you know i i i don't trust listen i know people who've become cops and i don't trust them in conflict resolution and there's two things going on there one police culture we are the law we put our lives on the line we are special uh, you know the whole blue lives matter you were not born blue blue is not blue is not your skin color blue is not what you were Blue is not your uh, unchangeable destiny. You 100% chose this lifestyle and you can stop at any time, right? You do not ever have to be a blue life if you don't want to be. And so for them to co-op that movement and then the other thing, there's the blue code of silence. And that's the thing that I have the immense biggest problem with. The fact that cops cannot check other cops out of fear of being put in danger by other cops. That the fact that that gangster cop, stuff cop a cannot say bad things about cop B because cop C and D will not have their back after that is so disgraceful to me. And we do the one bad apple thing. The rest of that saying is spoils the bunch. So to me, if you want to quote your bad apples, you're essentially telling me your whole precinct is rotten. The LAPD just got busted having like a, a, a legitimate hit squad, like a legitimate hit squad. And, and that doesn't really make national news. LAPD's budget is enormous. Yeah, I don't even like that's just I'm going to have to go look that up because I hadn't even heard of that. Um, I'm not surprised if that's true, though, because the it, it's um I, I don't want to use this context in like a a holy understanding of it uh, or a holistic understanding of it but like it is the the not ratting out your your fellow cop is is somewhat just it's office culture it's not even it's it's because you don't want to go into work every day being the black sheep being the guy that everybody hates so some of it's just it's just sh public shame and, yes. and but you're but the but the also is the police have such a brotherhood system and that brotherhood system ties into promotion so it is basically like your police allegiance directly correlates to like your career advancement so you are de-incentivized to make your community better like 
like if you were going to step to a place where you would be put in this like ostracized position, it's because you're calling out corruption, right? Like you're literally right. telling people to be better human beings in a place where the power balance is unfair and you are getting ostracized for it. That's so to me grounds for full defunding. Like I need, I need social workers at domestic disputes. Like I, like if you bust a taillight, the, 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 the person pulling you over should pop their trunk and fix your goddamn taillight. Like there's no point in giving me a $60 fine for a light being out. Fix my light. Be a public servant, public servant. That word has been distorted to an immense amount. I like, I mean, I, I like, you know, I, I definitely in, agree with the, the notion of like finding a better system to fix the problem. Like, because like I said, are we, are we, are we, you know building bridges or are we dividing each other with you know with this position like why would you want to create a position that's going to create contention with the people you're supposed to be serving like yeah no i, I can agree with with that with a lot of your sentiment i think um, a lot of urban cops legitimately harbor resentment towards the communities they serve because they either feel like they're disrespected in public or they are not given the credit they deserve for putting their lives on the line, even though that is legitimately their job title. Well, like, I, I, I don't salute my, my ice road trucker for making sure my salmon is fresh. That dude puts his life on the line every single day for me. I'm sure some cops get paid decently well, but I, I do wonder how much cops get paid. Dude, because what? are you doing this right now? Cops get paid to an insane amount. Their unions are insane and their overtime hours are insane. But like, what's fair for, because here's, here's the other thing, like something that we, we do, I think have to take into context about being a police officer is like, you're getting put in very compromised situations. You chose so, this. So, right, so but, is the but guy like, who washes people windows. make mistakes. Why, so why don't window washers make six figures? Right. But the because mistakes they're not getting that, the, pe the, the tax money of the people within a corrupt system. And, and I mean, I want them to make the, the moral choice or the, the righteous choice, the just choice in their actions, but like people are going to make mistakes, um, in these high intensity situations in these life and death situations that it's, you know, it's, it's kind of easy to, it's, it's, I think it's, you don't want to go too much with the, uh, the hindsight thing where it's like, you know, uh, you can fully evaluate. I think we do have to try to put ourselves in everybody's shoes in, in some of the more contentious situations. Yes. The problem with that is that cops go into every situation with their life, thinking that their life is on the line because in reality it is. The problem is, and this is honestly tough, is that it is not the cop's responsibility to be the aggressor in that situation. If, if, a, if you are going to roll down the window and someone is going to immediately fire a bullet into your face, that is literally the risk a cop takes on the job. The same way that you would work behind the counter at a 7-Eleven. Anytime someone could come in and rob you. And yeah, there's, there's hindsight for every situation. But cops are more worried about cops than the community. I, I won't. No, nah, nah, I'm not going to. That's cool. I, I, I appreciate your perspective on do you have, it. Do and you know anybody that's like a cop? Do you have any cop friends? Um, Nobody close. Okay. Yeah. Um. I have some like friends of friends and I've had to try to talk to them about stuff. Uh, the guy I worked at, at my summer job used to be a cop over in the UK. And he told me this story about how they showed up at this uh, drug dealer's house and they were going through and, and they had a warrant and they were just 
raiding everything. Well, when they showed up, they showed him the warrant and he looked at it and he just went and sat down on the couch and he didn't say anything. And he waited for like four hours while they're just tearing his apartment apart, stacking up all the evidence of everything they've got, different stuff that they've that stolen stuff that they had found in his apartment, drugs, money, all this kind of stuff. And then at the end of it, they're all finally one of them says to him, like, what uh what are you sitting there so smug about? You know, not saying anything. You haven't said a word this whole time. And he walks up and he points at the address on the uh on the warrant, and then he walks outside and he points at his address. And they had the wrong address on there. So they just had to they just had to leave. And they left him with a completely destroyed apartment. Right. But they don't care. The, but they had to go get another warrant. And by the time they would go do that to come back, everything's gone. That's right. So it's That's right. It's just funny how much justice is relied upon like loopholes and stupid, weird systemic stuff that like or like I- paperwork. Oh, so much paperwork. So much paperwork. Not only that, the paperwork is like it's a hundred percent a police officer's word against yours. And we have a long documented list of, of, of police fabrications. I'm a true crime guy. I, I like I like true crime. I like dig, uh, but m- one of my favorite tight like ju- sub genres of true crime is cases that were just they just got wrong. Cases that got wrong or, or men that are in jail that are that are for, that deserve to be free or unsolved crimes that clearly have a victim, but out of ineptitude that that the, 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 the perpetrator walks free. And it gives such an insight onto just how like cops are not superheroes. Like they are people at their job. There are good ones. Like there's someone who's like there someone somewhere is the world's worst doctor. Like you don't know if it's yours, but like someone somewhere is the world's worst doctor pulling somebody apart. Could be yours, you don't know. But like there are not good cops both in a nefarious sense and there are not good cops in an ineptitude sense. It's just a job and for people to tie it so closely to their identity and to demand respect when they don't deserve it uh especially in the communities that they brutalize uh, it's just been insane the new the 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 attitude of the nypd this summer has been absolutely insane and that's like as far as people that guys that you've interacted with in, in new in new jersey and stuff like the guys that, that inter- or- i've interacted with people that are like new jersey cops and they'll post like They'll post headlines with like the thinking emoji and I'll just be like, Hey, what are you thinking about? Like, what are you, what are you thinking about there? As they show like police officers, like drive through protests. I'm like, yeah, kind of, you know, it's like <laughs> a, a cop would be like, well, those people shouldn't have been standing there. You know what I mean? Like that yeah, kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. And it's like, Oh, you really don't have any empathy, huh? Like cops think about cops. Anyway. Yeah, no, no, it's cool, man. Uh, no, yeah. It's, I think it's interesting. No, yeah, I, I like I like hearing other perspectives and like I just, you know, again, I, I'll continue to to lean on the idea that like I think most people are good. And I, but I also wouldn't wouldn't doubt that there are some people that get inside of a certain system and they almost become beholden to it and kind of fall into making things, making decisions that they wouldn't want to or they, you know, otherwise wouldn't. And you're you're right. They have the uh, they have the choice to uh, step away from those situations. If uh, but then again, then you're if all the good guys walk away, like you're just leaving all the corrupt people there, you know. So 
do the good guys get chased out? I mean, we need to find some way to put if the a, right a, people into these situations. If a good guy can't stand the heat of bad apples and leaves his honorable post because of corruption, it was he really a good guy to begin with? But, but how bad are these dudes? Cause are they threatening your family? You know what I mean? Like, you well, then are they even cops? Those are criminals then. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, yeah. Like I, I think we live in a gangster system. Like I think our politicians are gangsters. I think our, some of our clergy are gangsters. Uh, I think that those blanket statements lead you to forget about good people who work within a corrupt system. Like there are so many people who are compromised and who just erode a system, but that doesn't prevent new people like there's new cops getting sworn in every day some of them are very committed to changing that reputation i believe just like there's new politicians every year and some of them are truly committed to change and i think that that is promising to a certain extent but if you were to be an arbiter of justice and then face injustice and turn your back were you ever who you said you were in the first place You know what I mean? You know, in a broad sense, definitely. I'm just, I think I'm focusing too much on like, well, what about this one situation where it's like, you know. I've been a big pusher back on like bad faith arguments over the past four years because now they are everywhere. And the what aboutism is like the biggest one. Like what about Obama? Like what about Obama? It's like obviously the big one. And it was just like, I'm just not in the mood to like take a uh, an outlier and call it the norm you know what i mean like but i also believe in the strength of outliers to eventually become the norms so do you think that like essentially we need a whole new kind of law enforcement system and 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 understanding of what those people are or is defund the police to you more of like let's just reform everything to essentially create a new system that is i don't just something that people can work in and actually be good I I do think that social work needs to be folded into community policing. I just think that like there's just too much power on the, on the side of cops and financially and, and like levying a community by like finding them financially to me feels like broken and like not the definition of community. Like we pay taxes to fund the police station and, and, and everything that they take through civil forfeiture and fines, like that all goes to their bottom line. Like, do they really need to to do this fines on fines where people get a parking ticket and they can't pay it and then they go to jail? Yeah. Like this is, this is a real slippery slope involved in the nickel and diming of community policing. And it's like, to me, the system is much more broken than fixed. Now in a small town where there's five cops and 500 people, I'm sure everything is honky dory. Like, you know what I mean? Like I have no problem with the cops in my town, knew them all well, got pulled over you know, how are you? I was shaking, but you know, I didn't never went to jail. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> cops, the cops that showed up, you know, have showed up at my ha- you know, house when things were happening, like alarms were going off. Everything's cool. Never felt intimidated, but like I'm from a small town. Like I don't like big city cops. Like I don't un- like, they feel like they always have their back against the wall and they need to prove themselves. And you just see it through their actions how they feel about the people they're sworn to protect. And to me, that requires... And 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 when you see the budget that matches the attitude, you just can't help but feel a little bit disgusted. 
like watching well, there's, the- there's a different there's a i mean as you're kind of just saying there's a huge difference between the small town cops and new york city cops but new york city cops that's like dude they have their own anti-terrorist division like they're essentially military themselves like in their scope and size because of how big their territory is now whether or not that should actually exist or we should have some kind of more decentralized stuff i don't know yeah i do i i mean to me i i don't fully know what the best answer is like to me like putting putting national chokehold ban on a front page of a newspaper is literally a joke because like if I get pulled, like my biggest fear of small town cops is getting pulled over on a dirt road in the middle of the night. Like I have no idea what can happen. And the fact that cops legislate their own body cam and dash cam use is like brain melting to me. Like the, like all I want from the people that I give my government money to is some GD accountability. See like a simple, simple, uh, yeah. Accountability. Have every cop live stream their whole like anytime they're working, with they would never out on patrol live stream it. Kyle, you know? they would never because it 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 it, it 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 crosses into this weird power threshold that they feel like they deserve and they don't. And that's a, a huge problem. I know we're spending like a significant amount of time talking about the police. Uh, we can keep going. But like, I think we definitely agree that like body cams are like, oh my God, wouldn't that be better if they all just kept their body cam on all yeah, the time we'll just, and we could uh, see that? Open like, source feed that anybody can go look at and review and like, you know, the data is available for up to... Uh, six weeks in case something occurs, blah, you know, all that kind of stuff. Insane. Insane yep. that we don't have that. But it's, it's, you know, it's simple, rational ideas like that, that a lot of people could end up getting behind on, you know, any side of the, the thing of our arguments. But, um, well, yeah, no, we've been, uh, we've been taking a lot of time here, Rick, uh, Rosen. That's right. Um, but uh, let's let's transition a little bit from politics and uh, society type stuff like that into a little bit of religion, spirituality. Uh, I guess overall, uh, kind of a general arcing question here is what's your spiritual journey been like through your life, Rick? And did you grow up with certain beliefs and have they changed over time? So I was raised Jewish, uh, uh, reformed, so not very serious once a week and the big stuff, you know, uh, now it becomes, we call it Jewish, you know, where you are more loosely associated with the faith. Uh, I was bar mitzvahed at 17, non-traditional age is traditionally as soon as you turn 13, but I basically opted out cause I didn't want to go to Sunday school. And then later in life realized that it actually is important, not just to me, but to the, my family and people around me. So I did it for my family. Um, I, uh, love a lot of the tenets of Judaism, the way that it is about your individual relationship with God is really important to me. That and the notion that I am not trying to recruit anybody to Judaism. The first time you go to talk to a rabbi about recruiting, about, about converting to Judaism, they have to tell you no. Do you know that, Kyle? I didn't. When you first go to convert, they say no. They have to say no. Because if you really want to convert, you'll be back. That's right? like Doctor Strange trying to meet the Ancient One. Sure, exactly. They borrowed it from Judy. I guarantee you, Doctor Strange borrowed did, yeah, it right? from Judaism. <laughs> my uh, brother-in-law converted to marry my sister, and he was told no the first time, and that was because my mom didn't like him. Just kidding. It was the rabbi. Um, 
<laughs> but this, this seriously, the fact that we are not recruiting, we're not on missions, we are just people trying to survive living our faith, which just happens to be the oldest faith that a lot of faiths are based on, is just a, it's just a cool little thing. Now, modern Judaism and like relations and how people perceive it, I like kind of despise to a certain extent. Like, I don't know. What do you know about Judaism? Let's talk about that. Not much. I did. I let, I lived with a, a buddy for a couple of years uh, in Madison or it was one or yeah, two years. And uh, Tommy, and he was, he was a cool dude. He had some books in his room that looked like they had like, you know, wizard writing on it. Um, <laughs> and and uh, that's all I really knew. Of it. And I, he kept some kosher food in the house, you know, things that, cause he did try to live a pretty, uh, pretty, uh, earnest life in regards to like his uh, mm -hmm. diet and all that kind of stuff. So I, but I, he, we didn't, we didn't bother to talk about it a lot. We talked about basketball, you know, like yeah. Yeah. that's what we do. Cause we're not pushing. You never hear, you never really hear a Jewish person be going, you know what the, you know what the Torah says. You know what I mean? Like we're never really quoting scripture the way a lot of outward Christians are because it's literally none of your business. What we our, what our faith is. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't want you to join Judaism. I don't want to actively recruit you. You should want to join Judaism. That's the whole <laughs> point of the, that is like the tent. Like you should want to be like, <laughs> which I don't even like the way that sounded, but I right, like, because it was almost contradictory. Yeah. But, Cause I, yeah. but I'm not, I'm not recruit. There right. is no recruiting. And that's why yeah. I'm like more like higher level, like Orthodox Jews, they're way too aggressive with like their pursuit of like other people. And it's like, can we just dial that back? Because I also <laughs> don't like the way, like I despise the way Jews are like perceived, like Jews run the media, like, like the, the New Yorker, like political cartoons with like extra long noses, like shit like that. Like, enrages me to know I because the reality is Jews have been a target their entire existence like their existence as a people they've been a target and so that presents you with a lot of modern issues that are complicated especially Israel you mean in like well well I mean Israel there's the whole Israel Palestine uh I don't even know what to call it these days because I guess was, is there anything significant to Trump putting the, putting the, um, the capital in Jerusalem? Like, is it yeah, like, he wants to start revelations, the end of days. <laughs> that's he that's did. The, he that's, told evangelicals he did it for them. He didn't move Drew. He didn't move the capital for Jews. He did it because evangelical Christians believe that Donald Trump is the leader who will bring about revelations. <sighs> Okay. And and, and um, that is what the movie I mean okay. like to me the I have I the Israel Palestine thing sucks because I hate conflict, right? Like I don't want people getting shot. I don't want people right. getting bombed for no reason. But we have two sides of people that don't think the other side should exist to a certain extent. But that doesn't mean there aren't people just trying to live their lives in those cities. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like like I disagree i've this is a conversation i've tried to have with older jews who've like been around judaism longer because i think that a lot of younger jews are becoming a little fed up with the state of israel like as a country and as a jew you have to 
blanket defend Israel, no matter what they do. But when they've committed like legitimate corruption and legitimate atrocities, it becomes a much harder deal to wrestle with. And I've spoken to older Jews and they say, you know, Rick, if another country got the chance, they'd wipe Israel off the planet with a smile on their face. Like it is a mission of neighboring nations to wipe Israel off the planet. Do like the and in essence, the people that inhabit it. Do right. I subscribe to that? In a modern sense, I don't want to because I want to think that we are progressing past such primal beliefs because I do think that the whole notion that like what you believe is wrong, what I believe is right, to me, that's tribal and primal. And like, we should be better than that at this point in society. No, we're, yeah, not. Yeah, yeah. we're not, we're not. So, so it makes you really wrestle with like, well, what do I defend in modern times that isn't like, like if if you're like if you're subscribing to your religion, you can't just subscribe to the stories. You also have to subscribe to like the culture. I recently got into it with a girl who I was talking to because she was like raised Catholic and went to Catholic school, and I lightly touched on like spotlight and like Catholic abuse, and she was like, "Well, it wasn't really this." And I was like, "I was like, well, if you're not gonna own." the shitty things like yeah. like religion is responsible for some of the biggest atrocities in modern in like world history like the roots of hate are in religion right, right? but the thing is about a lot of that and and I think it's kind of one of my overarching points about dealing with how we kind of demonize other people today in some respects on like social media and whatnot or our perspectives of what we think people are without having full conversations with them is that it's not that people who follow these faiths are, are the, the worst things of that faith. You know, it's that there's certain corruption in those faiths or in those, uh, those institutions that have allowed that corruption to fester and become almost systemic. And well, because, because corruption is relative when you have religious guidance, like when you are doing everything in the name of faith, what is corruption? Like if, 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 if a modern day GOP member did all these steps because he wanted to get this, you know, doctrine out that, that, that collided with his religious beliefs, you're no, you're not corrupt. You're a crusader, Kyle. You know what I mean? Like, like you're, I, I, I took the bullets for, for, for the greater good. Like, you know what I mean? Like the, 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 the mesh of church and state in the last four years is so disturbing to me because you can drape yourself in the flag and cover your face with the Bible. And to some people, nothing you do from that point on is bad. And that is so disingenuous and so dangerous because the same opportunists in anarchy look for it in structure, like religion, like firm structures that 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 can be when people can be manipulated off of. Um, it sounds a little bit like that uh, that phrase that some people or that's been said about um, using essentially piety to or or using. The the using so-called best intentions to cause the greatest atrocities, um, yeah. you know, p- putting on a face of of uh, being there for good things while actually using the system to pillage all of its all, all the all the support that it's getting gassing, gassing protesters so you can tr- cross the street and take a picture holding up a Bible. 
It's literally causing harm in the name of draping yourself in faith to manipulate those of faith into believing your intentions are pious. There, you know, I, I, and I mean, to, to just touch on that particular moment, um, there, there are the narratives out there that like these people, the, some of the protesters were being violent in regards to throwing things at the police there. And they had been warned that like, if you don't disperse by this time, then again, other narratives say we never got any warning. They just started gassing us. So, okay. So the narrative that you have, that you are presenting is that of the power structure. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like the narrative of the people threw things at cops so the cops can gas them just so the president can walk in front of a church and hold a Bible upside down. Like if the president needed to leave the church and, and it was unsafe, the cops need to clear a path. But the cops cleared the path with the explicit intent of this fake religious display. And that's the issue. But I mean, is it a fake religious display? I mean, I'm Do you think Donald wrong. Trump's a religious don't, don't guy? Me wrong. Don't, don't get me wrong. Like, it is for PR. He's go, going over there too. So it's fake. But that that church had been like set on fire the night before. I'm not saying it was burnt down, but like it was set on fire the night before. So I mean, that's what so politicians now- that's what politicians do. And like you you can't go violently if if people were throwing things at the police, you can't do that at the White House and not expect to be treated, you know, with you know, anti, you can't, you can't be, uh, yeah, exactly. So like, I'm just entertaining all possibilities of that situation because I wasn't there. I don't know. The problem with the erosion of the truth and news cycle is that that is that bad faith arguments can worm themselves into the both sides narrative. When Mm -hmm. you have something as plainly stupid as Donald Trump sees a crowd, he wants to disperse. So he this is improv. Nobody else knew he was going to do this. Walk across the street to take a picture and hold a Bible upside down. That is the explicit intent of showing force and wrapping yourself in the Bible. And then we get to play both sides. Well, here is all of the unknown deliberately meant to muddy the waters when Occam's razor bears itself out. We all saw it. Um, There's a, there's a little part of me that thinks like you, you can't impede the uh yeah you can't impede the president you can't imp- well exactly the president so, wasn't but he wasn't gonna do that until he saw the protesters and said i want them you know what i mean like he i it was there was no schedule for him to be at that church it was a surprise to everyone so like this is something that i was going to talk to you about is like you've made some tweets where you have accused the president of not being as dumb as he is like yeah. how much you accused him of being you've accused him of being uh, not as dumb as you've That's accused funny. him of some 4d chess on, on on some on some times and i just want to know like do you really think he's as capable of uh, 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 of this this complex uh manipulation because i i really think that he is so much more what you see is what you get than the right gives him credit for Oh, I, I, I mean, I don't trust any of these people. Um, but I do think that he's. I, what I don't agree with is people who are ardently anti-Trump or never Trump or, or just don't, you know, don't like him. Like, I understand that he says stupid stuff and that he says divisive stuff, but and he speaks very plainly. But 
I think a lot of that's on purpose. I, I, I think not acknowledging his strengths for what they are is not like, I feel like you're not, you're not going to win the fight because you're not acknowledging who your enemy really is. And I don't think he's, there's a lot of people who, and there's just a lot of people who will say like, he's the dumbest piece of this. And he's this, and he's, it's like, he became president. He did this. He did that. Like you have to acknowledge who your enemy is. If you're ever going to beat him. That's my whole main thing. I think so. And I think that that kind of came through in the debates where it felt like the candidate, like, Biden put on the wry smile when Trump was like trying to steamroll him. And I felt like he thought that was a better move than getting into like elevating and like stooping to his level of a shouting match. But it didn't play out the right way mm-hmm. because we all know what Trump's going to do and how he's going to present himself. And to not, you're right, acknowledge that is a, it's a failure on your own part. Like, to, to, but that's the thing is like when. Like you don't, that person does not deserve that much credit. Like I, th- what, what would you say are his strengths? I would say that he's great at dog whistling to people who are fake oppressed. And he is great at telling the common man that the reason they don't have their success is because of someone else, I, which is another form of dog whistling. I don't really have like a desire to defend him. I just want to, my whole thing about a lot of wanting to have conversations is like, I just want to talk about things about for what they are and then try to evaluate what it all means together because we, but you we all said have, we you all said, have limited perspectives. You said Donald Trump playing rope dope. You said you tweeted that. You said rope dope, not dumb. So so do yeah. you think that he plays rope dope when he tweets that there's no stimulus and the stock market drops 90 fucking points and the next day he has to tweet that they're getting stimulus done because he has absolutely no idea what he's doing? Well, here's this is uh this is kind of a question of like it kind of gets actually let's just kind of roll into that because this does feed into it. Like at the end of the show, I like to ask like what makes you happy or what are your hopes for the world or the future? Sure. Uh do you mind if I share my hopes? Sure. Okay. So I just I think I think the establishment has been so bad in my life that the the downward trend of expectations for people in our society has been so bad the the cost of living has been so high in re in reflection or in relation to how much people earn for working 40 hours a week like i think if somebody works 40 hours a week they should be able to support a small family with their wife and their kid and their or you know two kids and buy a house or a small piece of land and like be able to live comfortably not like in you know like in luxury necessarily but I think that the whole like um, nuclear family type type idea or or the single income household idea or um, uh, American dream, I think that should be something that should be possible for everybody. Like if you work hard, you should have an opportunity for that American dream. And, and that's a reflection of like my dad coming out of high school or whatever and having Tyler, a job that at least paid apart- enough. That's paid enough to buy a house. Exactly. Your dad can work a part-time summer job and pay for his college tuition. Like the norms of living have just been eroded. Right. There, 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 there is a lower standard of living. Prices have gone up and wages have not matched 
the cost of everything has increased because corporate greed has increased. And Donald Trump took $1,000 off your taxes, gave a billion dollars to the rich and said, great job. You, you, you improved your personal situation. It's a joke. And now Joe Biden says he's going to raise taxes on anyone who makes over $400,000 a year. Six, or It might be $600,000 a year. I think, I think it's six. And people have the gall to say Biden's going to raise your taxes. Who the hell's making over $600,000 a year right now? It's crazy to me. The, the GOP messaging is lies. Well, it's bad truths. There, no, well, no, there, there is some. Tr from my perspective, there is some truth to. Uh, so to to finish up my hope. Sorry, yeah. I, no, I, no, no, you're good, dude. I love your interjections, but um, the uh, my hope is the idea that I don't. I am so distrustful of the the establishment after I saw the way that Bernie was treated by the Democratic. And, and Bernie supporters were treated by the Democratic. Listen, I think uh, that's fair. I think that's fair. But I've I've made a lot of concessions on the Bernie Sanders movement that I think a lot of fervent Bernie Sanders supporters weren't willing to have in that in that. Listen, like Bernie Sanders, is very attractive because the goalposts of politics have been thrown to the right. Like they've just been dragged mercilessly to the right for the last 20 years. And, and Bernie Sanders is the only candidate who cared about the actual people. The problem is he ran against the generational establishment candidate. He didn't run against a newcomer. He didn't run against an, an ascendant. Uh, he, he ran against the person that was pegged for the White House a decade ago. Right. Who has, who has listen, but that's, that's like the political game of like Bernie Sanders was too far left to appeal to the people that are going to vote for Joe Biden today. And maybe four years, it took me four years of accepting that this is two different countries grouped in one landmass. There's, there's two different Americas right now. And one of them was never going to vote for Bernie Sanders. That doesn't make Hillary Clinton a good candidate. There were two bad candidates in 2016 and a failure on a lot of people's parts who thought they were smart. But but the 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 resignation of of Bernie supporters to be like, well, Bernie didn't win, so the whole system is fucked. Is a rejection of what Bernie Sanders stood for because he is someone who has worked in a fucked system and refused to turn his back on it. I just don't know if you can. I think it's so corrupt, and that's like you have like to fight. As, though that's the thing, you well, have to fight. You have to participate. I think the media is part of the establishment and that's it's literally called the fourth estate. Nobody's disputing that. And I saw the way they treated to Bernie. So then I, I, I kind of put that on Trump and I say, well, why are they being so disingenuous about Trump? Because there's plenty of things to criticize the a-hole for. Why do you need to gin up certain things? Like, I hate that. You know, I what want are we genuine... ginning up about Trump. What's the end? Because the gin stuff about Joe Biden. Well, I mean, what they impeached insane. him on was complete horseradish from my perspective. Why? Because he released that transcript. It was as clear. Of, it was like the most um, transparent so, thing a president's ever done. You've So you get, first of all, the, the Watergate had, had, had minutes missing. So you, you don't trust politics, but you trust a firsthand transcript from Trump himself, like the most dishonorable guy in modern politics. He's going to say his word and you trust him and then refuse to let anybody in his cabinet testify. Well, because well of, one, one of the reasons though is because the people, the people, the people lever saying that that phone call was, was corrupt and this and that, like the transcript 
didn't say that. And nobody nobody refuted the the uh, the legitimacy of the transcript behi- besides saying that, like, well, it's not a direct uh, thing of the phone call. And like, it's it's everything Trump said. But the the Ukrainian president was speaking Ukrainian. So they translated his content yeah. for the tra- transcript. So that's not going to be necessarily, you know, exactly. It's going to be the, the the translator's interpretation, which is supposed to be as exact as possible. OK, let's break it down in the most simplest terms. Donald Trump was accused of asking a foreign country to dig up dirt on his political opponent. Do you think that's okay? Because that's kind of the heart of the issue. If you think that's okay, that's totally different, right? Because politics that, well, is politics. But it's also the, well, the, it's the also problem is, is that if, if you were going to focus on the the legitimate transcript and the legitimate words that were said you don't know if that's legitimate transcript you're uh, trusting the most untrustworthy person well, in government uh, but uh, the so and one of the yes here at one of the hearings adam schiff got up there and he he said he was reading the transcript and he had to come back later that same day and be like oh no no it was a parody of the transcript because he was putting all this gesticular things into the transcript saying like, I'm a, I'm a gangster and you need to do this and you need to do that. And implying that he was Trump saying that he was Trump saying these things and that Trump said these things in the transcript. And it was just like, it was, it was an instance of one of our, one of our politicians just bald facedly lying to the people to get across his perspective where it's like, dude, you're trying to impeach the president based on this thing. Like, don't lie about it. Otherwise you're, you're muddy in the waters in regards to getting support. I agree. No, I agree. I agree. And that's the way that like when Democrats always say like, they go low, we go high. When Democrats actually do go low, it's disastrous for them. It's disastrous for them because they've compromised who they think they should be. And they're fucking bad at it. They're bad at muddying the waters the way the GOP does. But what the GOP did is every single person that you got Jeff Ratcliffe, every time he took the mic, he did a one minute WWE promo for Donald Trump. And then three months later, he became director of national intelligence. That's the GOP way. Democrats can't even pretend they're, they're dirty, but they can't well, even and pretend to be, to th- be but dirty. But that's, that's a, um, as far as Trump and evaluating his style or his way of doing things, when he sees people are loyal to him and, and speak out for him in a, in a, in a positive way, that's part of his whole thing on Twitter is just going on there and retweeting like, a, not even an exaggeration over a hundred things in a day. Yeah. That's a cult. That's what, a, that's what a fascist does. That's what a cult leader does. Well, that's funneling he's, things he's, to him. He's, I'm the only person people on the back. I'm just saying it's effective. That's all I'm oh, saying. Oh, it's very like, effective because he's manipulated. That's because he's the head of the snake. Like that's what how he's positioned himself. But like, that's another reason for me to say like he's not dumb, you know, or he's not he's not unintelligent. He he knows what he's doing. He's not just out there. That's know, just as much willy-nilly. him as a narcissist because he's that's what he's done in every aspect of business, and those have all been failures as well. Don't you think that it's crazy that all the people who are not allegiant to Trump testified that they thought that it was not proper, and then all the people that are within Trump's cabinet that could have provided damning testimony weren't even allowed to speak? Like, isn't it crazy that people within Trump's circle are not even allowed to testify to this stuff? You mean to the uh, the Ukrainian? Uh, Can't say anything. Not allowed the, to testify. Uh, but they. <laughs> I mean, they brought in like the the former the guy who was a Trump donor and then became the liaison to Ukraine. Yeah, I totally believe everything he says at face value. No, I mean, like there was there was the former uh, 
wasn't there a former ambassador to Ukraine that they brought in to testify um, on the Democratic side? And there was that uh, Vinman. I remember Vinman. Yeah, we're getting yeah. into the weeds here a little bit, but I do remember. I Vindman. know, but I like that. I like that. But they just know the weeds. But man, they discredited like, everything. So cool he he did nothing but discredit Vinman, who's been nothing but a career serviceman for his country. Like Trump spent the entire impeachment discrediting people who have given their lives to American civil service. But I'm supposed to take his transcript at face value? Felt like I'm taking crazy pills, man. Well, and that's no, what but I that's, can't. But do you see how like Schiff needless if 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 the if the corruption's legitimate from Trump and and it's and it's in that transcript, or if the transcript's not not legitimate, like then then let's hammer that. Like, don't make something up that makes me distrust you when you're trying to get me to buy into you what you're selling. I totally, but I also think you're harping on one moment and then being like, you're doing that thing where you're like, this is the reason I'm not believing because like, no, no, like, this is can't... just my one example of like, I mean, if we, if we, if you know. I think there's a lot of other things that the the media has taken and needlessly tried to drum up anti-Trump narratives when it's like just he does enough stupid stuff. Just yes. use the stuff that's legitimate. Don't I totally agree. And that's my and that's just, you know, but that's also because I think most people are good people. We all want to be trusting. We don't want to walk through life thinking that we're being lied to all the time or that we have to you know, double check the people we want, who we think are on our side and who we think are fighting for good things. We don't want to have to believe well, the that they're the selling the us false goods that, too. The biggest farce is that Donald Trump's on your side. Like that's literally a joke. I, I do. I totally might be true. Uh, the, 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 the reason, the reason why I keep a, a 10% open-minded about what the future may come under with him going forward and all that kind of stuff. I do think the first step act with the, um, with the prisoner release and stuff. And I know it wasn't like a ton of prisoners, but like little things like that, it's like, okay, maybe he's not completely the P you know, POS that like, maybe there are some decent things, but I, but then again, is that just, is that just PR? Is that just propaganda? Yes. Is that just yes. him trying to get reelected? Yes. Like I keep all that in mind, but yeah. he, he was the anti-establishment candidate from the right. And I was so anti-establishment in my beliefs in regards to Bernie and the way, that like I was I, I, the most hopeful I ever was for the Republican Party was watching Donald Trump's acceptance speech. And it was literally downhill from there because he disputed the size of the inauguration crowd. Like when Donald Trump accepted his victory on election night, I thought he took it presidentially. Like I thought in that moment he could be presidential. And I said, if this fucker just surrounds himself with smart people who have done this before, he's going to be okay. And he did exactly what he's been doing his entire life. If Donald Trump just sat on the money his dad gave him, he'd be exorbitantly wealthier than he is right now. He is absolutely known for dragging businesses down, dragging people to court, and not paying anybody because he has too many, he has so many lawyers on retainer. So what did he do as soon as he got in the White House? He demanded that he he took it upon himself to make the greatest change to the court system that any Republican candidate has ever made. He's nominated more federal judges to lifetime like positions in four years than anybody else. Yesterday, he confirmed, sorry, this is uh, in his podcast, this, uh, October 21st, he confirmed his 10th federal judge that received a no recommendation from the American Bar Association who had to cite 
intern work on her resume because she has been a lawyer for so few years is now a lifetime appointed judge. That to me is the biggest okie doke that we spend our time wringing our hands out over trivial shit or tweets about Kim Jong-un. And in the meantime, he is salting the soil of justice. I love that you brought that up because like that's legitimately something that it's like, why doesn't the media cover that in a bigger way? That seems like the biggest power grab he's made is uh, appointing like 300 judges. Are you serious? And and younger ones, too, that, that have lifetime appointments. That's it's insane. If, 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 if you're thinking about how how he's going to put his thumb on the scale, even if even if he doesn't win, you know, that's the whole thing, though. It's all the, the conservatives are willing to trade in all of their norms and all of their uh, uh, reputation and decency for this once in a country opportunity to stack the courts. Amy Coney Barrett has been was confirmed as a judge the same week that Stranger Things 2 was released. Season 2, not season 1, season 2. She's been a judge for that long. And now she's going to sit on the highest court in the country. It's fully insane. That being said, well, you and I, you and I would take that job in a second. It's a lifetime appointment. Oh, well, I mean, but I mean, it, so I she's mean, not from, from say the no. perspective of if you're going to appoint, if you have that power and you're going to appoint somebody, it is like if 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 I was in power and I was going to appoint somebody to that judgeship position, I'd probably be appointing someone who's young, you know, because that's how you leverage your power. But that doesn't make them a good. But the, there's there's young and then there's experienced. Like this is the highest court in the entire country. So we're not. It's not about experience. It's about what have you said that supports the things that I think, which is literally yeah. the opposite of a judge. You're 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 discrediting impartiality and experience over partisanship and sycophantic traits. It's disgusting. It's the biggest. Uh, 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 master stroke of corruption by the GOP that's ever been done, and and it's it's about to have disastrous consequences. Texas already said that they're not, you know, with polling places and with the deadline for mail-in ballots, they're not going to change. They got one polling place in Harris County, the third largest county in Texas. Uh, um, in uh another state, uh, Pennsylvania, I think was about uh mail-in ballot dates. Um. All across the country, there are states that are having issues with the, in New Jersey or everywhere. Redistricting is a huge problem because there's a deadline for new, drawing new district lines and it has to fall in line for census data. And Trump pushed back the census so long because he wanted his illegal immigration, his illegal, illegal immigration question added. And now it's going to fuck up the census, which is going to fuck up redistricting because you know who is impacted by an uncounted census? Black and brown people. The average age of a white person in the United States is 58 years old. The average age of a Latinx person is 15. The country is skewing young, but it's not skewing white. So when you are speaking to the white constituency, it is about holding on to power and keeping things the way they are because the people that need the support are the future of this country. And that just happens to be people who aren't white. That's interesting. I didn't even know that statistic. Um, yeah. It's, it's shocking. It's legitimately shocking to me. I mean, you know, I, I don't know. I grew up in a pretty, uh, predominantly black high school and stuff like that here in, in my, in my hometown. Mm -hmm. So like, 
I'm like, all right, whatever. <laughs> you yes. know, like I, you I know. totally agree to a certain extent. Like, but the, the, you know, I observe systemic inequality all around me. To to to, yeah. to, to, to deny systemic racism is to live with your head in the sand. To to deny, oh, I mean, I think it's rigged. The system yeah, I, is. Oh yeah, it's I, like it's, our our justice system has been insane in the the discrepancies and stuff like that. Absolutely. And and how our drug uh, drug enforcement has been levied against, you know, poor and 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 cocaine and charges versus crack charges. Yeah. yeah, it's ridiculous. It, it's it it it's 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 slanted towards one way. It's always been, and to say that we solved racism because we have a black president or racism isn't real is just you think a willful some of that, ignorance. I mean, do you think some of that statistic is tied to um, the systemic like? Um, just the struggle that certain, like, like, you know, like, is it is it more about people's the color of their skin, or is it is it is it the socioeconomic thing? That's what I was looking for. Like, is it is it is it about their economic situation, or is it about the color of their skin? Well, or is is it a little bit of both? It's a little bit of both because systemic inequality affects lower class communities. And right. lower class communities are typically comprised of immigrant populations. That doesn't mean there aren't poor whites who can't use help from the government or poor whites who are not victims of, of a system that is designed to keep poor people poor. Right. Like, but, like if you have a certain if you're if your parents are of a certain wealth class, they can go hire a lawyer who can argue for you to get you off some of those things that other people would get punished for simply because they don't have an advocate. Easy. The easiest one. The easiest one, like that's so that's such a simple example. I have a friend who uh, blacked out, took a friend's car, drove it off campus, flipped his friend's Jeep on top of another Jeep and then got out and ran from the cops. How long do you think he spent in jail? It's a trick question. He's white. He never went to jail. A couple, a couple <laughs> fines, a couple fines. And wow. uh, it's just a blip. And now he keeps living his life. Like that's like multiple crimes like multiple yeah. real real crimes you know yeah. and just like well he's white and things yeah. you know he's got people to vouch for him and he's able to get a really really good lawyer because his parent he family knew a really good lawyer and yeah. it's like that's just a small sample of of, of the problems look at redistricting like the <laughs> gerrymandering is absolutely insane if you look at the there's a, a really contested uh congressional race out in california where all of the congressional democrats have backed um Oh God, I'm having Nithya Rahman is the uh, urban planner who's running for LA Council City District, and she's running against uh, a candidate who has all of the super PACs and like the big money behind him. And her district is, it's dude. I have to send you the picture of this district, LA Council District Four. It literally is like a W, and then it has like a strip that just like has like Hollywood stuff in it, and it's like. There is no way that people are making districts that make sense. Like it's all about economic <laughs> yep. opportunity and winning elections. And like that is such a bad flaw in our system. So what do we need to do? We need to cancel revolving door politics. You can't go from from the public sector to the private sector. We have to put on term limits. You can't make politician your career and you can't operate in office just to stay in office. And we need to have more transparency. Where are you getting your money from? Who are you beholden to? 
I think if those three things were enacted, politics would immediately improve. I also think that there should be like a system set up where because we want our politicians actually working for us when they when they are elected, not just working to get themselves reelected, as you kind of point out, pointed out there, like you should after you get elected to office, you should have to spend like a certain period of time, whether that's six months or a year learning under that person who's leaving the office, regardless of what, you know, regardless of what side they're on. And then. Then in that next year, that's when you truly take office, like a real and, transitional team, right? Exactly. Good. So that I like that you and, and so that you don't have somebody just spending the first year or two of their time in there as a constituent doing nothing, learning the system. I, because I we do want new people coming in. A hundred percent. My two biggest gripes are like pure outsider guy, guy who has absolutely no business in politics and tries to get into politics, which is like. Great. That's what Trump did. People liked him for it. But I don't think that like Bloomberg has any place in politics. You know what right. I mean? Like, yeah. I don't think businessmen really have place in politics because they'll make capitalistic decisions and cap- capitalism operates without ethics. Then the other problem is like um, the career politician, like the person who starts in local politics, stays in politics rises and never goes away. And that person that the Mitch McConnell's of the world, the Mitch McConnell who had an attack ad so he could win. Mitch McConnell got the cheerleaders to say nice things about him, the popular kids to endorse him in high school so he could win the class president race. Like literally has been operating in the mud as a play dirty candidate since he was motherfucking 18 years old and has always operated under the assumption that I need to do this so that my people will keep voting me in because this is my identity. And that is just crazy. The best politicians are these new progressives because they feel compelled to act. They have heard the call. And that to me is so different than I see an opportunity here. Well, Rick, um, it's almost two hours into this. I know. I, know, I don't want to. I, I don't want to eat up your whole day. I could go on for another hour. I just. But, have, um, I, have so, I have a couple things I wanted to talk to you about. And I don't I leave. Hit me with them, brother. I just want to talk to you about some of the tweets we've gotten into in the past. Oh, geez. <laughs> so, you said uh, I have this one tweet from you that says, "To me, the right is much more religious, but their politics are more based on science, while the left is often agnostic or atheist, and yet their politics are almost entirely based." on faith-based reasoning and belief in authority figures. Do you, do you still believe that? I mean, I kind of, I think I've expressed that general sentiment um, with some of the opinions I've shared today. Um, So yeah, I think there's some, there's something to that, but like, this is the least scientific GOP that has ever existed. So when you get on Twitter and you say the right believes in science more than the left at a time in American history where they're literally flaunting their disregard for science, it makes me wondering if you're literally just being controversial. No, not at all. Um, but I think some of my opinions would be controversial, you know, or, or are controversial. Um, I, I just, uh, I think that the corruption is so big that, look, we were lied to about WMDs in Iraq to get us into a war. Yeah, I was going to say that. And people accept that. But you, you they called don't, the, you they called don't the virus WMD similar... level lies. Like, that's to me, that's crazy. 200,000 well, people are dead. 
You said the reality of statistics paint a clear picture. The virus is real, but it's been politicized to a degree that many people can't reason with how big the lies are. It's right. WMD level lies and people yes. can't accept the establishment would do all this. You think the coronavirus is a like, what's the WMD level lie about the pandemic? Well, it's it's some of that. Uh, I mean, some of the stuff that the CDC had listed on their site that people could have gone and checked that said 90 over 90 percent of people that had been listed as, uh, you know, dying of the virus had 2.6 comorbidities. What, what do you, everybody has a comorbidity. What are you doing there? What, well, a and comorbidity it's also, is any well, adverse function. It's, it's, it's also about like, how much can we really impact society or, or, or slow down society and the impact that that has on people's emotional health, small businesses, but 200,000 people are dead. So where's the WMD level lie? And where is the, the but right, it's, the it's, right it's basis the on politics and science? That because it's the is context the that only, if only 10% of those people actually died of the virus. So you are a believer the, in this bad faith medical labeling that's that they are hospitals are labeling COVID deaths that aren't COVID deaths. It doesn't even have to be bad faith as much as like it's just encouraged because you get paid more but if, for having people diagnosed with it and then and paid so for more? some of the treatments. Whoa, 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 whoa. What do you mean paid more to diagnose people with COVID? That was putting it poorly, but like the the federal government created so much extra money to help fund the treatment of it that you were getting, if you were dealing with COVID patients, you were getting extra funding. But that's because hospitals are at capacity. That's not, that doesn't trickle down to the to, to diagnoses level. I don't that know that, but we, we had all those, you know, there were, there were a lot of those, uh, like, um, temporary hospitals that were being built places that just never got used too. So like, I don't know which narrative because we to had believe. because we had not listen. It's the I'm not trying to like small town you at all, but the fear in New York with literally nonstop ambulances and like early we've since broken up, but I was dating a doctor in the early stages of COVID, and that is what promptly enraged me so much about the denial and the purported money grift where I was seeing my girlfriend wear garbage bags to take care of people with a deadly virus that we didn't know how to treat. Like the crazy thing is doctors didn't know how to treat this Kyle. So it's like a comorbidity. Someone comes in with asthma. They were living fine, but now they're on the brink of death and the doctors don't even know how to treat them. Like, well, there's, no, there's also the issue though, that like how, so just because somebody tested positive for it, we know that some of the tests have had issues over time. Okay. So how many of those positive tests are inaccurate? But 200,000, like I, I give, I will give you that, but 200,000 people are dead. So like, we're going to, how, like, uh, do you want to attribute 10%? 180,000 people are dead. That's 30,000 more than all of Vietnam. So like, there's so where right I mean those, so how those, many outliers have to stack for but the how whole many thing people usually over the course of the ten months that we've lived through right now or, or ten or eleven months that we've been living through this like how many people usually die so then we're talking about well it's excess deaths right that's what really should kind of paint nobody the picture dying normally and getting nobody's crashing their motorcycle and getting labeled as a COVID death. No, but they are like, that's just it. We, there was, well, see, that's anecdotal and unfounded. That's just not, it's that's not that's though. Just like, a, right? that's a, one of, we, we've had, we've, I mean, you're, you're right. I didn't 
do the research myself. I didn't go dig into it, but there have been news stories that have said that in certain places they had to remove people from the COVID death count there because certain people were getting listed who like had died in a car crash or had a blood alcohol level of uh, 5.0 or something like that and happened to have had COVID when they died of alcohol poisoning. Um, there were a couple of different instances reported in Washington state of people who had gotten killed by gunshot wounds or by getting shot, but they got tested for COVID. So like, but are we it, going to call those the exceptions or the rule when more people are dead in s six, seven months of virus than any period in any major battle conflict we've ever had? Like, but, at how much but does is that a false equivalency kind of like trying to compare it to, you know, automobile deaths like like war is a different different beast? A hundred percent. But now, OK, we can do it with flu deaths like more people are dead right now than there should be and hospitals and ICUs are at capacity. And that's not uh, just because of seasonality or the regular people getting sick during the summertime. Like people are have being you, cautious. Have you seen sometimes though, like, like the headline, I remember one, one, uh, one of the reports that we got about Texas, like two or three months ago, or it was more in the summer. It was like, we're having this Texas beds are at capacity in this particular county. And then I go and I read the story because the headline said beds are at capacity. But you get yeah. to the story, and it's like beds are at 104% of normal capacity. Well, normal capacity at this time of the year is 80% of the beds are usually used up in ICU. So you know what I'm saying? Like there's like this deeper context yes. that you do have to get into read the article about. And like and that's why every single time the the narrative gets sold now for me of but do you know what happens when hospitals capacity reach that? capacity? Do you know what happens when hospitals are at capacity? I don't. Okay, because my ex had to do this, and they were doing this in Italy. You have to look at five patients and decide who deserves treatment the most, and send the other four home. It's literally a nightmare scenario for the medical community that they would have to solve a trolley problem for everyone that walks through the door. Hospitals getting hit at bed capacity is a ethical and practical nightmare that people can't fully comprehend how dangerous it is. If if it's legitimate though. And that's the problem though, is that I think sometimes the 95%, even if it's, even if the normal is 85 and they're at 104% what they usually are, that is horrifying. I mean, dude, don't get me wrong. Like there should always be beds available. And like, if we're having a legitimate, uh, emergency, there should be contingencies in place to either build a, an extra center to renovate a, a certain center to shut down a building that can quickly be converted. You know, if that's a, like, I mean, how many places have empty, empty old schools that, you know, just aren't getting used or whatever, go, you know, go retrofit that if we need to, but it costs a ton of money. And then you'll be saying that they're adding COVID deaths just to get that money. Like, do you see how the, the circle works? Like all that stuff costs a ton of money. Well, I mean, I but this, well, I mean you say that, but uh, again, like my, my perspective is like, I have a very limited perspective. I'm just, I'm trying to take in all the different narratives we get because I don't trust, I don't trust anybody. I like, think that you and I agree on one thing wholeheartedly. And that is the problem with opportunistic journalism. The problem with people who are paid by the click 
who yeah. are essentially aggregators of of press releases and other people's articles who then create crafted narratives and misleading titles with the sole intent of trying to lure your attention away from real journalism. And the erosion of local journalism destroys the small town accountability that leads to obfuscated stories like the one you're citing. Um, well, okay, then I, I guess how do you how do you deal with that? Because like I don't really trust the I don't trust Twitter or the social media companies to be the, the arbiters of censorship. Or no, to, I hate that. Yeah, but so also there like there are just like there's a worse doctor like there's good journalists and there's bad journalists yeah. they just happen to work under umbrellas of media companies that are also sometimes shitty but what i do for my news is i get a breadth of sources and then i try to make my own conclusion and then i look for the biggest criticisms from the other side what does the other side hate about this piece so much what like I think the best, a good way to do this, and then we could talk about it, is the Giuliani thing. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, I didn't. I didn't look into it a whole bunch, so I'm not. I'm not super versed. So okay. If, if I, I might not have too bi- too much of an opinion on it, but I think that we can both agree that social media censorship is probably dangerous. I think so. Okay, but to me, <laughs> it's just as dangerous. You might not know this, so I will just say this on the podcast. The New York, the, the they released the, the Times wrote an article about what happened inside the New York Post with that story, right? No journalist inside the New York Post wanted to attach their names to that story. That story was shopped to Fox News, but they did not find it credible enough to run. So let that sink in. They took it to the New York Post. No journalist wanted to put their name on it. There are two names attached to the byline of the Giuliani story. One of them had no idea her name was on the byline until the morning it was printed when the article was already released. The other one has never had a New York Post byline in her entire journalism career, has been at the Post for two months, and her previous gig was an associate producer on the Sean Hannity show. So like the reporting... That's suspicious. On the reporting outweighs the reporting. When you have something that is so obfuscated and so messy that the the Fox News won't touch it and credible journalism won't touch it, but a company that also happens to print a newspaper gets to touch it, that's like serious ethical problems. So I don't agree with Twitter being like, "Ah, you can't read this. You can't even share this. But the fact that the New York Post was allowed to run it because there's no checks on what you can put in a newspaper is to me, just as corrupt, like the feeding into the notion that an entirely uncredible story can be given credibility by powerful people should make you just about as mad as anything we've talked about today. I mean, but it's, it's getting, I mean, they're selling a good, a good perspective as far as trying to get people to buy into it. Like, it sounds like you don't think that the, the laptop is legitimate in some respects or certain. I don't think any part of the story is legitimate. Okay. How can the story be legitimate to me? I mean, it seems like he dropped it off. He signed that, that the, the receipt and Kyle, nobody can corroborate this and no real journalist would touch the story. Doesn't that, well, doesn't that raise a flag? To, I it's mean, the shop owner, 
it's the shop owner fiction. has corroborated it, but then do you believe the shop owner? Or who is, is he... like who is the shop owner? Like who is he? Adam he is Plumber Joe in the great scheme of things. He is as Play-Doh as anybody in any story. Um because because if it's, me, if, it's if, if it's you're legitimate though, is it is it somewhat brave to be offering the information or to have because the other like he he apparently gave it to the FBI first. So like I, I guess um, it seemed like from the stories or the 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 narratives on the other side. I I don't know. I I, I guess I see like I if, see reasons to think like I'm gonna keep my eye on this and see how it plays out. But again, I don't know how real it, real all the documents are that are being shared. You know whether the receipt that that's getting passed around on social media or that is in the stories. I don't know how many. I don't know who to trust. I know that think- there's. People uh-huh, no. coming out corroborating, saying like, "I was on that email chain. I can c- confirm that certain of these emails that are being released are legitimate." But like, I don't know who these people are. Exactly. I mean, I can, so but because I, powerful people are are vouching because their backs are against the wall, it get, it lends too much credibility to a I, story that people who are in pursuit of credibility wouldn't put their name on. This, I mean, this is. Do you think this is an information war type kind of thing? Like, is I think this it's a what, misinformation war. It's all the GOP has. There's but, no platform for them to stand on. Their platform is now hate and misinformation. Uh, see, I, I, just, I guess um, there's that 10% of me that I don't trust any of these gangsters. Yes. But here's but, the thing. But if, th- there, if there were gangsters ruling the establishment, then who do you need to fight them? You can't have like a nice guy come in to fight them. You need somebody who's going to come in, talk bull, talk his bull, and like, be be aggressive be donald trump's a legitimate gangster though like he is a gangster he's a con man he's a fraud he's a tax cheat he's a grifter and he has decades of 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 that track record so are there good people in politics are there bad people in politics i would say that yes there are legitimately good people in politics and there are legitimately bad people in politics and and that is that is acceptable to say they're two wings of the same bird and a lot of politics is spinning their wheels and posturing but to say that donald trump is the like not a gangster is like kyle that's yeah, so to me that's just as crazy. Like I think they're me, all I look at the progressive left and I legitimately see those as good guys. And I understand why they're demonized to a certain extent, but I see people from the progressive left as people that came up in their communities and are dedicated to improving those communities and are outspoken against the corruptive norms of government. And that's why the I think that at least at a congressional level uh democrats are going to do really well in a couple weeks i'm nervous about that general but 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 do you think that that the trump is but not if they win the, well if they i mean it's almost more important for the democrats to try and win the senate than it is yeah, for them to 100%. win the president no right? you're you couldn't be more right you couldn't be more right flipping the senate oh. is much harder and it's we're gonna just lead to four more years of spinning wheels well, and, and if you and, get and if you get control of the house and the senate you can get rid of the president if you really want to yeah i guess that's true but he would have you know you can't impeach him twice <laughs> well you also don't have the courts and the courts are stacked you know what i mean like yeah but do you think that donald trump is enriching himself from the presidency you think he's getting more rich um i mean I, there's gonna be natural benefit what, i mean and- he tried to have the g7 summit at his own golf club right 
So um, to me, I just, the, the, his pursuit there, of there, other people a, making money in politics is insane to me. He would pursue other people getting rich off of politics. It's literally his main goal here. I, dude, I, I, I'm. I think they're all gangsters, Trump included. No, so I like, understand. No, so like here's what I'm, as, here's what I'm upset like, about. Kyle, at the end, like, I'm not here to defend Trump uh, no, at all. I know, I know. Other I know, than I know, I know. other but, than to offer the perspective that, but this if is we the don't understand, of, if you don't understand your enemy, like, and you disrespect your enemy, you're gonna get beat by your enemy. You know, I, it's like I, showing up to an NBA game and and not respecting your opponent. It's so true. You're you're so true. You have to have a game plan for your opponent. But I've lived in. Donald Trump's backyard and seen the grift and seen the, the fake success my entire life. And his ability to project success to the common man is literally his greatest strength. The fact that he projects wealth to people that are poor, that he is a successful businessman, the fact that he's projected himself as a successful businessman is his biggest grift of all. What I'm upset with, Kyle, is your hardline 10% and your commitment to Everyone is a crook when the person in charge and running for re-election is the most legitimate crook and the most close to consolidating power up top via fascistic tendencies ever. And you're unwilling to fight for, for to, uh, you're unwilling to push back against that. Um, no, I'm, uh, I think I'm more apathetic about like things like, like, I don't think I had, like, I don't know if our votes count, you know, that kind of stuff. Like, so why are you even voting for a third? You're not going to vote. I I'm not planning on voting right now. I mean, if I vote right now, the I'll probably go Kanye. So what does that do? What, like, what does that do? Do you think that you're in the involved in the process at all? You might as well throw it into your bushes. Okay, your I do backyard. have a question on that. Like, do you think like, what if, <laughs> so I've always had like, I voted in 2016 for the green party. Cause I was like, maybe there's this underground third party vote that's going to no. happen and they're going to get the 5% no. and they're going to no. get federal funding or no. federal matched funding. No, maybe Kanye can get that 5%. No. And, my and then issue we can have third, the Kanye party and then my, we have a true, you know, breakup of the duality. My issue with third party politics is that they don't exist. If you want to be a legitimate third party, you start in community, you run for city council, you run for comptroller, you run for mayor, then you run for Congress, then you run for senator. But the only time I hear a third party candidate is an election year. And that's fraudulent. That's literally not how you grow a movement. If you want to be a third party, actually develop and grow your party because that's what the Tea Party did. That's what QAnon did. And they got co-opted by the actual arm of their administration. And now it's the nut jobs that run the party. Now it's the biggest fringe people, the people that are willing to ascribe to the, to the craziest things. They actually run the party. The creator and the biggest proponent of the birther movement is the head of the country. So operating on the fringe of the establishment is literally more successful than trying to break the duopoly, which everyone knows needs to happen. Everyone hates the two-party system. But to say that in the, the, the when you are facing the biggest fascist the country has ever seen, the time when people are less apathetic than ever, this is the time for you to be not apathetic. I'm asking you to not be apathetic Cast your vote for Joe Biden. Push back on fascism. See, but I think the worst about him, on, Push back on fascism. Like, if I voted for Joe Biden, like, I think, 
I, I wouldn't, I, I, that wouldn't be an honest vote for me because I think he's a really bad person. Um, Why do you think Joe Biden is, okay, Joe Biden is a flawed person, but to call Joe Biden a bad person would honestly take a stretch to me. Well, I just think he's because part I of think the Donald Trump's a bad establishment person. corruption where I don't trust his allegiances to, and this is, this is it. Like, it's not like I'm like, Allegiances to who? Biden doesn't. Biden's like to the, the people only, of America that vote that are voting for him to run the country. I don't, Biden has no business ventures. Like he has no roots in. He's not going to have to give up anything the way Trump said he would give up all his properties, which obviously he didn't. He actually golfed at them and charged the Secret Service more to use them. He Biden has no uh, uh, roots in fucking pharmaceuticals or like Silicon Valley. Like the thing that the Joe Biden's biggest flaw is that the GOP has demonized the left for four years and painted them as criminals and traitors to their country. And Joe Biden wants to put GOP members in his cabinet. The same mistake that Obama did. Obama tried to reject the duopoly more than any other president since FDR. He had more Republicans in his cabinet than anybody since FDR and the GOP punished him for it. I think that's, uh, I think, I, I don't know. I just, I, I look at the Bushes, the Clintons, Obama. I kind of, I, I just felt like all their policies were the same. So it, but, that's, the, that's why, it, that's my whole, that's the rally against the establishment, man. It's yeah. Ob Obama it's, was too. We thought he was outsider. He was actually establishment. We right. thought Trump was an outsider. He is actually just a one man focus. And that one man is power at the top, keeping himself out of prison. That's what's kind of scary to me about Trump is like, who's, who's backing him. You know, we hear you are, you are backing him by voting and not voting by voting third party and not backing him. You are fueling his reelection. I understand how that sounds, but that's the reality. It's not you are I you mean, are co-signing his actions. You don't think he's bad enough to vote no. him out. You don't See, think that, that's to me that's, that's to me the, the whole thing about like we demonize people or we ascribe like like I'm not a Trump supporter. I just want to have a conversation about the situation. And this is your time as your civic duty, your right as a citizen to try to enact change for the progression of our country and you're spitting in the face of that duty. I didn't well, vote in 2016. From, I agree. I didn't vote. I now feel compelled as an American who is embarrassed by Biden. his own country. I don't see any hope in Joe Biden and the people who, who support him. So what? Um, so so you see no hope for the country? No, I didn't say that. Like, hey, man, Trump <laughs> so hasn't putting, started any wars. I'll give him that. He hasn't he started, started any wars. He started a war in our own country by refusing to acknowledge the biggest domestic terrorism threat, which the FBI reported that the far right was a massive domestic terrorism threat. And he ignored it. He didn't ignore it. Sorry. He fostered it. He cultivated it. And he allowed it to develop and become mainstream. So as now people's hate has been given uh, uh, legitimacy. And the president now dog whistles for people to take guns into the streets to shoot fellow Americans over civic and 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 human rights disagreements. That's his doing. So if you don't want to stop that, or rather, if you are co-signing it, I'm not co-signing anything. Then you want to. Then why don't you no, want to push back, dude? I just I don't believe that the systems work. Like I'm I'm sitting here and I'm saying like. The systems don't work for the gross majority of people. The systems are corrupt. Kyle, so all I'm asking and, and, you to do and, is and put all, I just don't know what's the 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 Trump is the non-establishment 
Um, if 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 the if the establishment not isn't going to support the common man, then it. You have to stop calling Donald Trump a non-establishment candidate after but 2016. That's what he is. But there's no there now that we are four years after 2016, when we have seen what the GOP has wrought, and we've seen the record amount of judge confirmations. We are now uh, people have twelve hundred dollars to live off of since June, and since and June. and there is no plan to beat this virus. He could have mailed everyone a mask that says Trump 2020 and easily stolen five points in this election that He's that's actually a fucking idiot kyle and no that's, that's the that's one of the best arguments for me against him is like i think there's so many things that he could do to heal the quote-unquote divides and you're right he he perpetuates them by being a an insightful person on, and I don't mean insightful as like looking inward. I mean, inciting people like he's very combative on Twitter and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, dude, why don't you just pat, like take marijuana off the, uh, the schedule one FDA, you know, redo our drug laws, let go everybody who's had a minor marijuana offense or like has been, you know, like have established some kind of like, you know what I'm saying? Kyle, there are things he could do to heal the divides and he doesn't do that. The GOP will never do that. And I think he's a gangster. The GOP, but he's beholden to private prisons. He would never would. It's private prisons and pharmaceutical companies keeping marijuana in its place. You have to think that he is just as much establishment as everyone around him. The only thing he has done is he has taken the people who thought they were establishment and turned them into unvowing allegiance to Trump. Because all you have to do is suck Trump's shit in a meeting you, and you'll get risen right up the ladder. Suck Trump's were, shit uh, on, on Fox News, you'll go right up the ladder. You were touching on something earlier where you're like the people that he surrounded himself with. And I, as someone who's like a drain the swamp, as stupid as that phrase might be, like, you know, to me, that's drain the corruption or get the corruption out of D.C., out of our yeah, government. Sure. So I like that idea. Get the corruption out of there. Yeah. Um, he didn't do but that. But you're right. He surrounded himself with a bunch of swamp creatures. Yes. So like he is the swamp. Right, exactly. He is so, the Betsy so, DeVos I mean, is the Secretary of Education. Is literally one of the most unconnected people to average citizens of anybody that exists in this country. Like crazy, crazy. Right. Talking about the mega mega rich. So if you want to co-sign for the power Don't control, say I'm co-signing. <laughs> as an as an American citizen, you have but one ability to impact the power oh, structure. Dude, I voted I'll today legalizing marijuana and putting Joe Biden in office because it's the one thing I can do as a citizen to enact change, other than you know holding up a sign in front of in oncoming traffic and, and showing everyone my beliefs. This is the one direct thing I can do. To make my mark on the government, however small, however spitting in a bucket that it is, I need the record to show. I need my grandkids to know that I saw what was happening from 2016 to 2020, and I didn't fucking like it, and I don't want to fucking see it again. And I think that you have a little bit of a moral obligation to go at least from 10% to 5%. But there's a lot of people on the um, on the other side who think that like all these, all this this worst idea of the other side being like, you know, again, I just, it feels like demonizing to me because, because there's a lot of people out there who sell the, sell the, the kind of like fear or uh, division narrative from the other side saying like, look at all these far leftists who are burning down our cities and doing, you know what I'm saying? And it's like, well, that's that's not true either. That's the whataboutism and that's individuals part of a greater whole. What did the GOP do? 
They are actively trying to cancel their health care plan in the middle of a global pandemic and have never proposed anything remotely close to a replacement. They have you ever had Obamacare? What? Have you ever had Obamacare? It's expensive as fuck. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, There's a that's huge problem. Point. There's a huge, <laughs> huge problem with tying your health care to your job. That's capitalistic insanity. We have yeah. to try to break that somehow. And healthcare is a human right. And the fact that we are able to choose because of a government option is a huge benefit because the Republicans don't have any other plans. They just want to gut the plan that exists. And that's going to let people die. They don't care about the sick. They don't care about the poor. They don't. They definitely don't care about the veterans. They don't care about the addicts. They don't care. And the left at least has said, this is what we're doing. We are here for you. And to say that there's people that are corrupt on the left is of course true. But let's look at the future of politics and the scales that exist. And I'm asking you as an American citizen to really pick a side. I'm asking you because I think it's your civic duty. I, I don't trust that any of them are fighting for us though, though. Like any of them. one person definitely is not fighting for you. And to me, listen, I told you I didn't vote in 2016. I, I agree with you, but you have to look fascism in the face and say, fuck you. And the only way that you have a direct impact on that is your ballot. And I implore you to vote for Joe Biden. Implore you. I consider it oh. at this point a, almost a moral obligation. I, hey man, I appreciate you coming on here and sharing your perspective on all that. Um, I don't promise that I'm going to change, you know, the <laughs> way I think or anything like that. But like, that's the other thing about, um, we, we just quickly, we kind of touched earlier on like whether or not social media is good or not. I don't, and, and whatnot. And, but, um, part of me sharing my opinions on social media too, it wasn't necessarily to let it, some of it was just to say to people, especially during the lockdown, if people were having like, mental issues trying to break down everything and they felt like why am i seeing things this way and why doesn't anybody else see it that way like even if i'm like i i'm more than willing to admit that i might be wrong about a lot of stuff and that my opinions might change over time and all this kind of stuff but like there's something about speaking up at times and just being like hey look you're not crazy for at least questioning things different ways or looking at things different ways and asking different questions so i think that's one fair. reason why i think that's fair and i will without a doubt always applaud you and consider you brave for being unafraid to A, speak your mind and B, zag when other people are zigging and say, look at this. What do you think about this? Do you think it's fucked up? It's okay if you do, you can talk to me about it because I'll see your point of view with respect. And I think that that is an honorable and noble practice. When we are getting into the weeds of disinformation, that is when both sidesing becomes legitimately dangerous. Calling Donald Trump and Joe Biden, both gangsters, is inherently dangerous verbiage. It is. There's no, it's dangerous. There's no way. You can't cut it any other way. When you have the track record of both, to simply throw one word on both, to both sides, and this has been a major criticism of mainstream journalism, to both sides, the banana sandwich shit that Donald Trump has done in four years, with the things that Joe Biden is accused of or has been responsible of in the past, is simply nonsensical. And it defies common sense logic. Um, we're, we disagree on a lot of stuff, but like, dude, I absolutely love how much, you know, and like how informed you are about the perspectives that you have on stuff. You know what I'm saying? So like, 
like it's dope that we've mentioned some pretty obscure political names and both yeah. of us are like oh yeah just roll with it <laughs> yeah no and i love having these conversations over the last couple months i've had my dms open because i came from republican town and i it started with i had a friend come uh to my friend's house i was in my hometown he comes over and he's like ah this virus stuff we're you know socially distant outside or whatever and um he said to me like rick you are like the way you talk is not like how any of my friends talk and i found that astounding because the way i talk is I, a lot of my college friends see things the way I see it. And then a lot of my hometown uh, friends uh, are, are on the far other end of the spectrum. So to hear someone who I thought was like a, a college educated, like well-founded, like well-rounded individual be like, nobody is talking the way that you're talking just in terms of the legitimacy of COVID-19. I was like mortified and felt compelled to open a dialogue with anyone who was confused or or unsure or felt like they didn't have anywhere that was safe for them to discuss ideas because when you put yourself out there you make yourself vulnerable you leave yourself open to bad actors always and in general people don't want to be shit on for what they consider to be their beliefs that being said Kyle like Kyle the human brain is not meant to process the news at the rate we are receiving. News. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> it's fucking insane. There is not enough brain power and time in the day to parse the current news cycle. It is breakneck. It is unforgiving and it is unrelenting. And if you feel lost in the sauce, that is perfectly acceptable, especially at a time like this when we're stuck inside and nothing makes sense. But yep. the issue is when you are faced with legitimate evil and a legitimate threat to your personal freedom like I, I have gay friends like oberfeller is overturning or oberfeller is damaging to them like i have friends that are women overturning roe v wade is damaging to them not because they want abortions but because women are going to get abortions it's about getting them safely it's about women's health so the to me the judicial fight is a very real fight it has it, it the me the fight over current state of politics touches people that I care about. And that is compelling me to vote a certain way. Even if I don't want to fucking have drinks with Joe Biden ever in my life. And I think Kamala Harris is a cop. I understand the stakes and I want yep. you to as well. Yeah, no. Um, Hey man, those are more topics that I would actually like to get onto. But if we yeah, go we any further, we shook out we're gonna, this is going to turn into a Joe, po a Joe Rogan podcast. Link. Yeah, right. Seriously. Hey Jamie, um, pull that up. <laughs> I did send you the the, uh, the district map, the California district. Oh, map. you it's did. In your DMs, yeah. Wait, you want to look at it live real quick because it is insane. I can. Uh, I will try to bring it up quick. Um, let me ask you while I'm trying to bring that up. Um, I'm gonna move into the final three questions I have. Um, okay. And they're just rapid fire. You can uh, sure. one word answer, pass on it, or get verbose sure. if you want. But uh, what makes you happy? Or how do you maintain or find happiness? I try try to end on you know positive notes. I have found to me that my greatest happiness is in seeing the achievements and success of people that I can help or people that are close to me. I never been like a teacher. I was a camp counselor once, so I don't think I have that bone in me. But seeing my friends achieve success, like this, is so stupid. But even seeing like girls that I've dated, like be in a happy, committed relationship that like they weren't like if girls were upset and now they're happy, like people that I know achieving happiness fills me up because it is so hard to be happy, man. 
Kyle, there's so many dark things in the world and there's so many like dark places you could go to in these current uh, reality that we live in. So for someone to truly find happiness, whether it is professional achievement, personal achievement, a relationship, a child, a marriage, uh, any type of, of achievement or success, especially if I can play a hand in that, like, um, uh, boom, uh, will ask me if like, Hey, do you know any content creators or like someone asked me like, Hey, you know, anybody that's doing a video and I can like help a small creator make a little extra money and then like increase their platform. Like to me, I know I got long winded, sorry, but that is the biggest, uh, that makes me happy. And I, I'm, it's crazy because I didn't think that I consider myself to be a narcissist to a certain extent. And if I do get a lot of joy from seeing the happiness of others, and that was personally surprising in my maturity. No, that's uh, that's like cool. I like giving gifts better than I like receiving gifts because in my head I build up what the gift could be, and then I disappoint myself. But I love seeing when you nail a gift for someone that matches something like what they yeah. want and with their personality, and it just overwhelms them and becomes their favorite thing. That to me is pure dopamine. I love that. To uh, to follow up on that uh, a little bit, I guess like how do you ma- how do you maintain your happiness though? Like, are you like you look like a pretty fit guy? Like, are you do you work out or do you like actually watch your diet and all that kind of stuff? No, or do you I, meditate or anything like that? No, I um or play basketball regularly. I, don't I haven't been very active in the last few months. I just moved into this new apartment and I'm like kind of exploring like what's around me park wise and like. I used to be doing like insanity, like the video cardio TV thing, but I'm on the third floor now. So I'm like worried about (laughs) doing insanity. So I haven't worked out like in a minute, but I play a ton of video games. Do you know what, you know, discord, you know, discord is. Yeah. Yeah. I have a discord of my college friends and pretty much throughout our work day, we just kind of pop in and hang out and being in a community of like six to 10 people that I can like legitimately talk to every day and like share things with and like we are in the foxhole of this pandemic together that has we've said multiple times like you guys have all saved our lives like we've collectively saved each other's lives just from being able to have someone to talk to i don't know if i could be a i don't know if i could be alone in this place every day it's a dark place oh no dude i mean you know i i lived alone for like several years and then uh yeah there's whatever it's always good to have people around you or to be able to you know go somewhere where you can be with people. And, and that's another reason why I don't like a lot of the restrictions that I I know are for a lot of people done out of the idea of protecting others and all that. But like, I don't like that. I can't hug people, you know, I hate hate that. I can't smile at people walking by me on the street because I have a mask on that. I hate that the pleasantries are gone. Yeah. Which yeah, everybody's dealing with. So that's a that's a shared uh, frustration. For sure. Um, on a bigger scale, what are your hopes for the world or the future? And when we get done with this question, I will uh, bring up that map and share it with people. Oh, cool. Uh, my hopes for the future are progress, uh, a better life where more people are happier and their needs are are met, and 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 people are being assisted instead of downtrodden people are being rehabilitated instead of imprisoned uh bad actors are held accountable uh corruption is brought into the sunlight and those are the things that like i strive for the most and then if the giants were to win the super bowl in that same lifetime hey that's cherry on top dope very dope (laughs) um all right i'm gonna i haven't shared a screen on here yet so i'm gonna try and do this oh i thought you didn't even use video for the pod like you just want to see this Oh. I, just you, I just wanted you to click on it and be like, oh, shit. 
Oh, you just wanted me to look at it myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm so sorry. I no, was. I, just, I didn't know no, you were. Right. I'm not even. I'm not going to share the video, so I don't even know why I was doing that. I, yeah, we've been sweating it up. I, I mean, okay. I have. I'm oh, dude, I'm got. I got armpits always. all over here. Yeah. I don't know. You see me check a couple of times, probably. <laughs> Terrible. Yeah, Maybe look at that map. Tell me how batshit it is. Oh, dude, it's completely insane. You've got like, uh, <laughs> yeah, that Idaho exactly. mixed with uh, like Rhode Island. I mean, it's. It's the most unnatural map you could draw. Like it literally cuts into f- sections of neighborhood and cuts out other sections of neighborhoods. Yeah, like, like it's, it's not reasonable. It's not like it's trying to uh, uh, weave itself around like natural no. mountains or something like it's that. It's weaving no. itself around poor areas is what it is doing. And look exactly. at the way it cuts through Hollywood. It's yeah. ridiculous. All, but yeah, that's all, gerrymandering. All that aren't, that's GOP normatives. Yeah. That's North Carolina and Georgia. That's the things they fight for the hardest. That's the systemic oppression that makes it harder for Democrats to get a seat at the table. And that's the reason why, you know, certain areas have... S- governments that lean certain ways because the district maps are drawn in fucky ways. And that's why the census is so important because this is, you can't redistrict if you don't know what the data actually says. And to clarify, if when I say like my hope would be to drain the swamp, I mean, on both sides, I understand you know, you know, two yeah. wings of the same bird. Diane yeah. Feinstein is insane. She's going to be serving in Congress. till she's 90 years old. I don't <laughs> want these people in my MFG, my yeah. motherfucking government. Right. Like you said, I, term limits, Joe, man. Joe Biden is too old for this shit, but he is not a criminal. Donald Trump is going to face tr- criminal charges upon leaving office. He's going to face criminal charges. His back is against the wall. So are you going to vote? If you're going to, Vote for the person who is effectively not a criminal, but maybe not a great politician, or are you going to not vote and essentially hand your tacit support to the guy who is legitimately a con man and a criminal? But I mean, look at me, man. I'm like halfway to a wizard. Like there's there's a big part of me that's like, I don't want to be a part of this system. I'm just going to go live in the woods. So um, you know what I would say? I would say that's massive white privilege. No, it's not. It's I'm going to go yes. live in the forest. There's no privilege in living in the forest other than because be the, you have decided you have decided that the system is so bad that you don't want to live within it. Acknowledging that there are poor people who are living within a downtrodden system without the means or the systemic opportunities to lift themselves up and you're co-signing it. No, I'm saying I'm going to go live with uh, whatever spiritual entity people want to call it God or whatever. I'm going to go you know, I'm going to absolve myself from society because I think the society is so corrupt. Abdication is not the road to enlightenment. But I don't know. Huh. Walt Whitman had rich ass parents, dude. Oh, did he? <laughs> Henry David Thoreau's mom brought him sandwiches on Walden Pond. Like, yeah, just go sitting by. So, so I, the new privilege is sitting by a pond. Oh, yeah. It's sitting out in nature. Poor. You can't live in these democratic crime run cities. And then decide that you want to go live out in nature. Uh, oh, oh, you're going to want to come visit me, no, though, bro. It's pretty relaxing. It's going to be at least 20 minutes, and we're going to hit a Rogan FD. You're going to want to come visit me. That's all I'm saying. I got woods uh, here. What do you think New Jersey is? Yeah, but I'm going to have a nice little pond. I'll disappear in the Pine Barrens. No you don't even know what that it. is. Pine Barrens. There's a place in West Milford, which is the town over when I grew up. They had a... Six Flags esque zoo thing, like you would drive through like it. You could see, ride like, the animals? animals. Yes, 
and they <laughs> went out of business and they just released all the animals. And that's where I'm going to live. Cool. Amongst the exotic, uh, loose jungle creatures of northern New Jersey. <laughs> that's kind of wild. I mean, so like, are there just giraffes wandering through? There could be. There could be. Infinited. There's hybrids. Yeah. Oh, the hybrids. Yeah. The bear, bear tiger hybrid. I'm done. <laughs> That'd be tasty. It's all avatar. Uh, different animals. Um. All right. Hey, my final question. Do you have any questions? Any other questions for me, brother? Yes. <laughs> uh, um, uh, uh, one time you tweeted that uh, the receipts six, six media companies own 90% of everything uh, what do you mean by that What what is that do you really believe that I mean that's like considered a pretty well known thing like but we live in the like my so my biggest thing is like the right going like mainstream media won't cover the hunter biden story when it's in the new york fucking post like what more mainstream outlet do you want like you're in a new york city newspaper like the 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 fox news complains that mainstream media like you are mainstream media it's 2020 literally anybody can be an independent journalist and people are still crying for mainstream media like they don't like they can't get their information elsewhere because you you and i risk in being a journalist though like like do you uh, like well, okay, well, First I mean, all, like if is... you go against if you go against the establishment or if you go against like what you're allowed to report on for where you work, you could lose your job. If you report on something that affects, here's the other thing: like if you're reporting on something that's such big corruption, these people that are getting involved in this big big old corruption, they're not going to want to go to you know they're not going to want to be punished. So like if you're just one journalist trying to publish this story. Like there's a lot of implications that come with being that that whistleblower, and that's yes, why. Yes, but then you you'll also get less access. So that's why you see independent journalists move up to bigger organizations, and then they get lambasted for either selling out or co-signing an organization with a corrupt hierarchy. Like, oh, you 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 work for the Washington Post now. You can never write about Jeff Bezos again. Which is like, right. no, like that's just fundamentally untrue. You mean that 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 line isn't there that like Washington post writers could can still write about Jeff Bezos. I think if Jeff Bezos made news, it's absolutely crazy to think that it won't get covered is what I'm saying is like you and I grow are, are in the absolute pinnacle age of anybody can write the story and anybody can distort the story, but there are institutions that are committed to presenting as accurate a story as possible. We grew up and our parents grew up in an era where they were beholden to the three TV channels and the one newspaper in town. And I think that is fit. It's a hundred times more dangerous than what we're dealing with now. The fact that you could, that, that, that Watergate was, 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 you know, covered by one network and, you know, it was, it was, you know, Nixon could just discredit the, the original leaker of Watergate and it was all going to go away. But you had two journalists who absolutely wouldn't stop working the case is the hallmark of American journalism. Listen, nobody gets into journalism to get rich. The pay sucks. Nobody respects you because the reputation has been eroded for over for four plus years. And, and, and there's nowhere to, there's no like get rich. Like it's an insanely noble profession in today's day and age. It's just the reality of it. And if you're trying to get rich on journalism, like someone like Ben Shapiro, you're going to be a bad faith actor. You, it's just the only way to get rich is by being Clay Travis saying, 
how dare you bring politics into sports, run a sports blog, and interview the president twice a week? Like, you have to be disingenuous to get rich in media. So reporters aren't rich. No, no, no. Well, you know, the other thing that's crazy. I mean, some is, of them are. I think Maddow makes like. Maddow's not a, she's not a journalist. She's not a journalist. Like people just think like, she is. Just like Tucker Carlson's not a journalist. Nobody really takes Rachel Maddow seriously. And if you do, you're pretending. Like people on the right want to act like we raise up Maddow and Anderson Cooper like heroes. Like it's not really like that. The way the right fucking sucks Tucker Carlson's dick. Anyway, the, 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 ugh, lost it. It's all good. It's been three hours, dude, or 2.45. It's just a crazy time. It's a lot time. of energy. It's a crazy time, and there's a lot on the line. Right, and it's good to give a crap, but it's also good to acknowledge what you can control and what you can't so that you don't let yourself get – I mean, this is – like when I say I'm apathetic, it's more about like over the years I've I've let myself get so worked up emotionally about some of the stuff, like – getting into straight up depression after Bernie's, you know, sure. and, and stuff like that. Like I have a filter now, you know, like, yeah, I, I, I try as hard as possible not to let the things I consume affect me emotionally because it hurts. <laughs> You're allowed to, that's a hundred percent allowed to be vulnerable. You're allowed to get upset, but politics is, you know, it's not all winning, you know, that's a, that's a good point, but kind of a deep one. Tough. it's tough yeah. it's tough all you can do is you know push back against the powers that be you got any more receipts no those are the i mean if you're not going to name the six media companies that way. i mean dude that's just it like i don't it's but you said it they're you all just, like parent companies of well there's i i thought i would have hopefully maybe in, included the the stupid meme that goes with it but, but it's then like, you're no. literally using a meme as a talking point like the generalizations of the blanket statements is how it's the slippery slope to outright lies like it's the Koch brothers thing that's like no it's, you know, it's, powers I mean, that some be. Of it's an acknowledgement that like we can't know everything but we still shouldn't be afraid to share our perspectives like you shouldn't be afraid to to be be wrong and to share your perspective also because like if in sharing your perspective you can be challenged by it and forced to reevaluate it as well i think so. that there's nothing wrong with helping people think and see outside the box i think that by presenting a disingenuous scenario like six media companies control 90% of power or the pandemic contained WMD level lies, you actually enable and fuel the disinformation. That was my biggest gripe of the times. And then when I asked for like, can you send, who do you follow? And you were like, these guys talking about the pandemic are the best. And like, neither of them had any credibility whatsoever. Oh, then the no agenda guys? Yeah, the no agenda yeah, guys. Well, the guy who said Apple was, a, was not a good stock in the 80s. Well, <laughs> that's what the one guy was like famous for. I looked up his Wikipedia so and he was funny. like, he's like Apple. Yeah. It's a flash in the pan. Like, no, oh, okay, I just, I like that show guy. because I don't know if you've, if you've listened to it much, uh, but like it's, it's, it's a bunch of people sending in deconstructions of the media to try to get to the truth between all the noise, you know, that's fair, so, but, but like, I don't agree to... with, the, with those hosts, those hosts offer good content but I don't agree with everything they say, you know, just like, yeah, of course, out, out of the hundred topics we've covered today, we're know, no authority. See we're some no authority. of our perspectives. And, yeah. Yeah. But when it comes to the authority and like, we need to listen to people on important situations. I am like, I started with fantasy football. I am forever team defer to smart people. And I am taking the page of people in 
leadership in politics, science, culture, ethics, religion, they all say Donald Trump's a fucking fascist. Do your <laughs> bare minimum as a citizen and vote for Joe Biden. That's all I'm saying. Okay. Um, it's 5%. Well, dude, it, that was just to give you an, you know. Okay, I an, I agree, two percent idea. Um, but hey, man, this is uh Rick Rosen, the Rick Rosen on Twitter. Rick, is there uh, any closing thoughts you'd like to have before I do a little bit of uh asking people to rate and review the podcast and all that? No, I have to pop out, so I'm gonna let you do that solo. Is hey. that all right? Yeah, dude, absolutely. Okay. Thank you so much for doing Listen, this. Listen, this was man. this was awesome. Like, I, Thank I, you. I I don't know what either of us had in mind going in, but just like like the chain of communication has broken down among society. And if we yeah. can just remember that we're all people and share our thoughts, we're always going to come out better on the other side. And I feel, I feel much better I, than I did as I a human being three hours ago. I hope ago. we're better communicators. Maybe I'll be a more willing communicator on Twitter, but if nothing else, honestly, if we, if we continue to disagree in certain places, I'd say, let's just do another podcast because I got time to burn, man. I'm in Jersey oh, city with nowhere to go. All right, Rick, well, I'll let you dip out. And uh, you have an awesome rest of your night, brother. Salute. Rick Rosen, Boom Sports here on Free Range Basketball, the number one basketball and human ethics podcast. <laughs> I'm about to go subscribe to your Patreon, okay? Thank you, brother. I right, love have you. Have a good night. Have a good one. See ya. All right. If you would like, if you like what you hear, please consider rating, reviewing, and sharing the podcast wherever you listen or watch it. And if you'd like to be an official producer of the show, you can send in support through PayPal, Venmo, or Cash App at Kyle McEwen 16 You can also subscribe on Patreon at Free Range Basketball. For anyone that rates, reviews, or contributes as a producer of the show, I'll give you a mention and thanks on the show. And I'll also come help do yard work this weekend. If you'd like to follow me on Twitter, you can find me retweeting an insane number of NBA and political topics at RotoKyleNBA. Once again, our guest today was the Rick Rosen on Twitter. Rick Rosen uh, works in game operations for Boom Sports. Heck of a guy. Love that he's came on here, willing to share his opinion and to challenge me. And to uh, yeah, hopefully some you know people who are listening, given this, given the Free Range Basketball Podcast a try. Uh, enjoyed the extremely long conversation that we had. I love these deeper podcasts and really allowing each other to share our opinions fully. And maybe you identified with something that Rick or I said that makes you feel like, well, at least uh, I'm not the only one thinking or asking these questions. Um, and uh, that's kind of the ultimate goal of this podcast. Our music's by Gray Theory. Uh, big thanks to Foster and Chip for letting us do that. The song is Movers and Shakers. And uh, I think that's all I've got. I'm out of here. Talk to you guys at the next episode. Thanks a lot for listening. Bye-bye. I love you.